Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Planning Commission hearing for Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. Um, to enable public participation, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live and we will receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. We will take comment from persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access line. For those persons participating via WebEx, please raise your hand. And when public comment is called for the item, you are when the item uh, you are interested in speaking to. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, please listen to these instructions carefully because they have changed yet again, but, I, but for the better, finally. Uh, thank you, Department of Technology and SFGov TV and uh, Media Services. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, you still need to call area code 415-655-0001 and you still need to enter an access code, and for today it is 2594-216-7313. Now you need to press pound twice. So that's pound and then pound again. No more access, I mean, no more um, passwords. So all you need to do is wait for the item you're interested in speaking to and for public comment to be announced. And to comment, you just need to press star three to raise your hand. Once you've raised your hand, you will hear the prompt that you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. No more star six. Uh, when you hear that you are unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. Best practices are to call from a quiet location. Please mute the volume on your television or computer for those persons attending. Um, in the chambers, please line up on the screen side of the room. Please speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. Finally, I'll ask that we silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings, and I'd like to take roll. Commission President Tanner. Here. Commission Vice President Moore. Here. Commissioner Braun. Here. Commissioner Diamond. Here. Commissioner Imperial. Here. And Commissioner Koppel. Here. We expect Commissioner Ruiz to be absent for some time um, on maternity leave. So, commissioners, first on your agenda is consideration of items proposed for continuance. Item one, case number 2022-004869 CUA for the property at 3352 Steiner Street. A conditional use authorization is proposed for continuance to March 16th, 2023. Items 2A and B for case numbers 14, excuse me, 2019-022404 ENX and CUA for the property at 1458 San Bruno Avenue a large project authorization and conditional use authorization, excuse me, there's also a 2C item for the SHD for the same property for shadow findings are all proposed for an indefinite continuance. Um, they will be re-noticing their project at some point uh, when they figure out what they wanna do. Um, I have no other items proposed for continuance commissioners and so we should open up public comment, members of the public. This is your opportunity to address the commission on any of the items being proposed for continuance only on the matter of continuance. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. Seeing no members of the public in the chambers, let's go to our remote callers.
This is Sue Hester. I am asking for a continuance on number 15, which is 98 Pennsylvania. The Petrajo boosters are on their way to get here, uh, to get to the meeting. There has been uh, various problems with this project in terms of the staff report not having adequate information from various people. There is supposed to be an extension of a tunnel underneath the site or next to the site for the Pennsylvania Avenue extension for the railroad. That is not analyzed in this report and should be. There is also uh, misleading plans about the site. It, uh, this site is um, surrounded by non-improved streets and the staff report doesn't really deal with those intensively. There is a lot of problems with the site, not the least of which is that the Planning Commission doesn't have adequate information from the environmental document on stuff that is supposed to happen, the construction that's supposed to happen right through the site. So I am asking on behalf of Ms. Ellis and Heath, is on her way to ask for continuance of this item to have the staff report altered so that sufficient information is given to the commission and to the public on the project itself and the surrounding area. Thank you very much. Bye. Hi, this is Patricia Boy about 352 Steiner Street. We basically support this, but our problem is, is that we talked to the people a year ago and they've never come back with us. We, we support the continuance and we're asking for the planner to ask the applicant to please contact us. 415-684-2617. Thank you. Okay, Commissioners, um, 98 Pennsylvania was not considered to be continued at this time. Um, if you'd like, we can include it. Otherwise, we should consider that request at the time the matter is called. I'm not sure the project sponsor is even here to, to speak to Mr. it. Mr. Kevin uh, is our hey, sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I stuck up behind you. <laughs> you really did. Uh, thanks, Commission. John Kevlin here uh, with Ruben Junius and Rose on behalf of the project sponsor. Uh, just a reminder, this project has been uh, continued uh, twice now since the first January hearing, once at the request of the Petrero Boosters, once at the uh, request of uh, the department. Um, we're ready and pre uh, prepared to speak today. To the degree Ms. Heath is, is having, um, taking time to get here, there's a couple items after us, so if we need to rejigger it and give her more time to get here, we're open to that as well, so thank you. But we're prepared to have the hearing today. Thank you. Thank you. I would assume, I would prefer to continue it under, consider the item, and if we get to it, we want to continue it, that can certainly be a consideration. Certainly we can hear it and still continue um, if we have other items that need to take place so we can still address the comments that we've heard today. Are there any other speakers on the continuance calendar? No. No, uh, public comment is closed and the, your continuance calendar is now before you, commissioners. Are there any other comments or motions? Commissioner Braun? 
Uh, I move to continue items 1, 2A, 2B, and 2C. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to continue items as proposed. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So move, commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 6 to 0. Commissioners, that'll place us under your consent calendar. All matters listed here under constitute a consent calendar are considered to be routine by the Planning Commission and may be acted upon by a single roll call vote of the Commission. There will be no separate discussion of these items unless a member of the Commission, the public, or staff so requests, in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent calendar and considered as a separate item at this or a future hearing. Item 3, case number 2022-011855-CUA for the property at 667 Commercial Street, a conditionally use authorization. Item 4, case number 2022 Hyphen 012037 CUA at 2050 Chestnut Street, conditional use authorization. Item 5, case number 2017, hyphen 003559 CUA, hyphen 02 at 3700 California Street, a conditional use authorization. Item 6, case number 2022, hyphen 003511 CUA at 268 Church Street, a conditional use authorization. And item 7A and B for case numbers 2016-007303DNX and CUA-02 for the property at 5 3rd Street, a downtown project authorization and conditional use authorization. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to request that any of these items on consent be pulled off of consent and heard at the end of today's agenda. Um, seeing no members of the public in the chambers coming forward, let's go to our remote callers. Patricia Roy from Marina Calhalla Neighbors and Merchants, about 2050 Chestnut Street. This was a surprise to us. First of all, I'm very happy about something going into this building. Ms. Roy, um, Ms. Roy, I'm going to interrupt you. At this yes, time, we're just we're just seeing. I'm, I'm talking about the continuance. Okay. Well, we're, we're done with the continuance calendar. The, I think you're talking about Ms. Roy. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if you're just requesting to have Chestnut Street removed from consent, that's all you need to do right now. And we'll have that hearing later. At, uh, on go today. ahead and approve the, uh, the um, what you've applied for, but I'd like a condition to be put on it that it should bring back before it gets finalized. Okay. In order to do back. that, Ms. Voy, we'll have to remove it from the consent calendar. To the uh, other neighborhood groups as well as our own. And we are having a giant meeting next month. We're okay. glad to help, um, work with this with all other groups. Thank you. Ms. Voy, are you requesting Chestnut Street to be removed from the consent calendar? I didn't request it to be removed. I requested it to be a, an addendum to be put on the approval. Okay, then and that for that to happen, we'll need to have it removed from the consent. So item four will be removed from consent and heard later today? Yeah, we'll hear it. Um, Before the DR calendar? Yeah. At please. the end of the regular cal calendar then. Uh, you'll need to come back and make that request again later. So item four will be removed from consent. Uh, let's go to the next caller. Okay, seeing no additional requests to speak, public comment on the consent calendar is closed. Item four has been removed from the consent calendar. So the remaining items are now before you, commissioners. Any motions or comments on the consent agenda? Commissioner Diamond? Move to approve all items on the consent calendar with the exception of the one on Chestnut Street. Second. 
Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to approve all items on consent, with exception to item four. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So moved, commissioners. That motion passes unanimously six to zero. Commissioners, that will place us now under commission matters for item eight, your land acknowledgement. Thank you. The Planning Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. Thank you. Item 9, consideration of adoption draft minutes for the February 16th closed and regular hearing. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the Commission on the minutes. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star 3. Seeing no request to speak, Commissioner's public comment on your minutes is closed and they are now before you. Commissioner Koppel. Uh, move to approve minutes from uh, the closed and regular session. Second. Thank you, Commissioners. On that motion to adopt the minutes, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commission President Tanner. Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously. Six to zero, placing us under item 10, commission comments and questions. Well, happy Women's History Month, everyone. It's already March, if you can believe that. Um, we just uh, also ended uh, Black History Month, and on uh, Tuesday, I was lucky enough and privileged to be able to interview Mayor Brown, uh, Willie Brown, so with all the planning staff present, talking about um, his tenure in San Francisco and some of the changes that he oversaw and um, definitely getting some wisdom and advice. So it was really um, quite a treat um, and great to see all the staff there. Um, I think there's a recording, an audio recording that's out there. So the video is not very exciting. I think it's the side of my head for most of it, um, but the audio is good. Maybe just treat it more like a podcast than a, a video recording. Um, so that was very exciting, and I want to thank Director Hillis, um, who will join us later, for helping to arrange that, um, and certainly something that I think uh, all of us who are present were really excited to, to be uh, able to be there. I did want to ask Ms. Wadi, um, maybe you can pass this on, Director Hillis, to see when we can schedule the update on housing implementation. I know there's a lot going on. And I've gotten some questions from members of the public just wondering about certain parts of the Housing for All plan and like how that's unfolding. And I'm also curious as well, and so I think it could bode a good discussion here, along with something that um, Vice President Moore had asked about, which is uh, new legislation in California that's in place this year related to housing and planning and land use so that we can kind of get a sense of just other things we might be expecting. So I'm not sure if that's already scheduled or what y'all are thinking sure, about Sure, and that. I believe um, Anne-Marie Rogers is here, and I, uh, she, I believe, is taking the lead on scheduling the hearing, so she may have a date already available, but if not, we're really close to scheduling one. Maybe that's it. We're really close to scheduling one. Okay. It'll certainly be early spring. Okay. Um, it's coming up soon. We're all working on it. Okay, great. And I, I'm, I'm going to send some of the questions I've gotten. They can maybe even just be answered in director's comments just really quickly in addition to kind of a, a longer discussion. Um, the only other item I wanted to bring up, commissioners, is some discussion around design review. Um, this comes from our hearing a few weeks back, um, just thinking about a lot of times we, we stick to our five minutes, at least I stick to our five minutes for sponsor presentations. I think for the most part it works fairly well, um, and then we ask follow-up questions. But if you do see a project coming up that you think the architecture deserves additional time, please let me know in advance and we can make sure the sponsor knows, hey, you'll have a few more minutes, please take you know, maybe seven minutes um, to include the design discussion and or 
if you forget and you, you realize when the project's here, like, oh, I want to learn more, um, we can certainly ask for additional time during the hearing, even before public comment. So if you want to kind of have it be contiguous with the discussion of the project, just be able to dive a little deeper into the design as well as the community outreach and other things that sometimes take up more of the sponsor's energy. So um, just a, a note there and open to other ideas that folks may have about how we can make sure that we certainly um, hear about the design as well as the other elements that are important to the project. Commissioner Tanner, just for your and the public's interest, uh, the housing element implementation informational update is currently scheduled for April 27th. April 27th, okay. I'll probably send some of the questions so we can get a few of them answered in the interim and then we'll look forward to that, that hearing. I wanna call on Commissioner Moore and Commissioner Diamond. Just briefly, without having a discussion, adding a couple of thoughts to design review. In the past, uh, it was recommended by this commission and former commissions to give large project applicants an independent element in doing any meeting to present the design even when it is in the process of still being developed. So that we familiarize ourselves with the challenges and with the opportunities these larger designs allow. For example, if 3700 California is coming back, which was a very extensively reviewed project, very detailed in its design, I think this commission except for Commissioner Koppel and myself who were there, would greatly benefit together with the public to refresh themselves on what the issues were, what the challenges were, and how we best address them. That would be one example. But there are many other large projects, and I think it's in the benefit of the public as well as ourselves uh, to help listen, uh, comment early on rather than just commenting when it's almost too late, uh, where we're really creating hindrances and delays rather than constructively and creatively participating. That would be my recommendation. Great, thank you for that suggestion. Commissioner Diamond? I, I want to endorse both of what Commissioners Tanner and Moore said. I was actually here for the 3700 project as well too. It was one of the first items uh, that I heard as a, as a <laughs> commissioner. Um, but I, I have noticed recently that we are, um, that the project uh, sponsors are spending almost all of their five minutes on um, their relations with and their interaction with and their response to the neighborhood groups in the context, all of which are critical and important. But it gives the appearance that we're also not that interested in design, that that's secondary. Um, and yes, I do think, of course, we have the opportunity to ask them you know, questions. But some of them have spent years um, and millions of dollars to get to the point where they have a design. And I want to make sure that our five-minute limit um, does not um, change the way in which they come prepared to make the presentation, because I'd like a full-on architectural presentation. Um, a, a good example was the incredible Native American Cultural Center that we heard a few weeks ago, where there were you know, it's a really creative and unusual design and almost none of the presentation was on that and it was all around, you know, the need for for the project. So I, I am concerned that our five minute rule um, shifts the focus almost entirely to one very important subject, but at the expense of another very important subject. And as we go forward with some of these projects that we're gonna see in front of us going forward, especially in light of the housing element, that the design of these housing projects is really important. And so I agree with both of you that um, one way, there are several ways to handle that. Um, I think a critical way is to have an information session early on 
Um, I believe that what we did with Stonestown is too late in the process. Um, it feels like they're so far along that when they heard our comments, they feel like they've done the deal already um, and that we're slowing them down. And that's a very awkward position, I think, for us to be in as commissioners, that we need to be able to provide our input, you know, early enough that, you know, they can seriously give it attention. And the same with 3,700. Um, so I... You know, I'm just wondering whether or not for projects of a certain scale, we should be very clear in our instructions, um, and staff should be clear in their instructions to project presenters that we want to hear about, you know, the negotiations and the discussions with the neighbors, and we really want a presentation on design, and if they feel like they need five minutes, then they should let us know ahead of time so that we can grant it. Because it seems like sometimes people show up and they're about to do a 10 minute presentation and we say, you've got five and they're like, hey, I thought I had 10 and you know, and uh, Mr. Anlin says, no, you've got five, but you can respond to questions. So I think they might be getting mixed messages and we should just be really clear. But I absolutely believe for these larger projects that the design um, should very much be part of their primary presentation. Yeah, thank you. Maybe it's something we can add to our officers' meetings as we're discussing projects and um, staff just being on notice to also make bring to our attention, hey, this is something that we may want to spend more time on or have an informational session on. So we can kind of join forces and kind of seeking out when we need to use that discretion. Thank you all for your comments on that. Any other commissioner comments or questions? I don't know if you all need to respond, but um, I think you get the message. I think the CPC officers... Um meeting is the appropriate venue to, to, to vet that. If there are no further commissioner comments, commissioners, uh, if I may, um, we had a meeting with uh, a, the sort of the city administrator's office for additional guidance on remote public participation. Um, so I guess last week or even the week prior, you've indicated to me that we will certainly continue the practice of remote public comment. The city administrator's office provided us with additional guidance that if we are to continue with remote public um, comment, that we establish a time limit associated with it. Um, but that time limit should be consistent throughout the entire agenda. Um, they used an example of 20 minutes. Um, I think that's extremely short. Even if we were to go for an hour, that would be 20 people maximum and their recommendation is that if we were to establish a time limit that we actually adhere to it and cut people off who may uh, may already be in the queue who haven't had an opportunity to speak um, this would not apply apply to quasi-judicial um, items such as negative declarations that come before you um, and so the board of appeals which is a quasi-judicial body um, has already um, adopted the policy that they're simply not going to establish um, time limits because most of the items they consider are, are appeals, um, if not all. <clears throat> so I brought this to the Historic Preservation Commission uh, yesterday. We've had no issues at the Historic Preservation Commission, uh, nor do I feel we've had any issues here with remote public comment. Uh, they've decided to not set any time limits, so I will seek your direction today if you would like to impose any consistent time limit. Now, this could change from agenda to agenda, but on each agenda, the time would have to be consistent for every item. Um, so, um, Commissioner Moore? Could we perhaps think about it a little bit more before just jumping in and having an opinion? The other question I would like to ask you, being really the leader of the technology here, with the new latest setup from a few weeks ago, the pause with you calling on somebody and those people responding, 
there's an awfully long theatrical pause, and I'm wondering if that pause could be shortened. Yeah. Well, we've successfully gotten away with that today for the first time. Okay. So thanks to Department of Technology and Media Services and SFGov TV working collaboratively, we've gotten rid of the star six to unmute themselves. So um, today we shouldn't have that long pause because it's, it's you know, they need to hear that you're being requested to be unmuted. They need to press star six and then they need to hear that you've been unmuted. So all of that is gone. We're sort of back to the old way that we've been unmuting people. And so it's simply they're being unmuted and they hear a prompt, you've been unmuted. and so that's their indication to begin speaking. Yeah. So it should be much smoother now moving forward. Perhaps we could observe today and see if there is an in-between pattern without really nailing it today. Uh, that would be yeah. my preference. Yeah, I would agree. I don't know that I, again, it's been fairly smooth. Um, so it doesn't seem, I, I wouldn't have a time limit today that I would propose, but certainly good to know the option and be able to think about it for a little bit. Yeah, and the city administrator's office will be um, reviewing this practice moving forward. Uh, they were asking us to adopt timeframes so that there's a consistency across all policy bodies, but we're far ahead of the game. Uh, many policy bodies have not been conducting hybrid hearings. Many policy bodies don't have uh, staff uh, behind the scenes helping them the way I do. So, I mean, I think it's a very different situation um, than most, um, but yeah. So for now, I'm going to keep status quo. If there's any desire in the future, please let me know. We can agendize that. Yeah, and, and we make it busier agendas where it becomes more needed that we just have more items. So we look forward to that day. Yeah. Very good, commissioners. Um, thank you for that. Uh, if there's nothing further, we can move on to department matters. Item 11, director's announcements. Item 12, review of past events at the Board of Supervisors, Board of Appeals, and the Historic Preservation Commission. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs. <clears throat> this week, uh, the committee considered, Land Use Committee considered Supervisor Dorsey's Article 8 reorg, which also includes many other substantive amendments. Um, Supervisor Dorsey made some additional minor amendments this week. Uh, none of them were deemed uh, substantive. However, Supervisor Peskin asked the item be continued for two weeks. Um, he would like this ordinance, uh, which has a minor upzoning in it by allowing 100% affordable group housing in the Sally District to be paired with another ordinance that he proposed that would prohibit um, home SF and Article 10 districts. So the item was continued yet again for another two weeks. Um, also on the docket um, and continued was Supervisor Ronan's ordinance that would amend the penalties for code enforcement in the planning code. Um, proposed amendments were not yet drafted and signed to form, so the sponsor requested an additional week for that. Um, and one item did make it out of committee. Um, it was the village SUD. This item would create an SUD to facilitate the development of the village, a mixed-use uh, facility specifically serving San Francisco's Native American population. The six-story, 4,100-square-foot building will include a youth center um, and elder services, uh, community gathering, youth programs, and other social services, a dental clinic, a medical clinic, and group housing rooms. Uh, commissioners, you heard this item on January 26th and recommended approval for both the SUD and the conditional use authorization, which is contingent upon the SUD being adopted. During the hearing, uh, planning presented the item on behalf of the mayor's office. There were two speakers from the project team and about a dozen or more public commenters, all in favor. Um, once public comment was done and all super all supervisors on the committee praised the project and asked to be added as co-sponsors. The item was then sent to the full board with a positive recommendation. And this week, there were no planning items at the full board. So that concludes my presentation. Thank you. 
Aaron, did you mention Victoria's, Victoria Gray's consideration at the Rules no. Committee? So Victoria Gray was nominated to replace uh, Commissioner Johns for the Historic Preservation Commission and um, was moved forward to the full board with a two to one vote. Commissioners, if there are no questions related. Oh. No, no, no. This is just okay, if there are no questions Sorry. related to the Board of Supervisors report, the, there is no report for the Board of Appeals. The Historic Preservation Commission did meet yesterday, and they adopted a historic context statement related to the San Francisco New, New Deal Historic Context Statement, rebuilding the city uh, from circa 1933 through 1943. Uh, really wonderful report. I can strongly recommend the read. In fact, it was suggested it be published into a book. So, um, also, the Historic Preservation Commission initiated landmark designation for the property at 2041 Larkin Street, the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples, established by Dr. Alfred Fisk and Dr. Howard Thurman. Commissioners, that will place us under general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the Commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the Commission, except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the Commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the Commission for up to three minutes. And when the num number of speakers exceed the 15-minute limit, general public comment may be moved to the end of the agenda. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Georgia Shudish. Uh, last week's uh, CUA hearing on the legalization of the Cumberland TTD raised questions in need of answers. Why were there several different sets of demo calcs for the Cumberland alteration, a speculative project? Why was the project reviewed as an alteration when three thresholds were exceeded in the 2017 demo calc matrix and the fourth was close? Why were the demo calcs for the 2018 variance hearing accepted in light of these 2017 calcs? And given the fact that one of the findings to approve the variance stated that if the variance wasn't granted for the front setback, the project could become a demolition. Why did this 2018 set of calcs show hardly any structure removed compared with the 2017 calcs? Why on the 2019 plans that the project sponsors submitted to prove that the demo calcs did not cross the threshold prior to the enforcement, were there also demo calcs using the Article 10 thresholds when this property had been downgraded to a C after the CADEX found no historic merit to the Cumberland House? Why did another project at 20 Raycliffe Terrace, approved around the same time as Cumberland, not have calcs that were measured against the Article 10 thresholds? This house was designed in the Second Bay tradition by a recognized master, H.C. Bauman, and was A-rated and a contributor to a historic district. And why was the design for Raycliffe allowed to be revised during its enforcement just up to but not over the edge of the 317 thresholds, thereby avoiding a CUA? These are the kinds of questions about the application of Section 317 for many previously approved alterations that should be analyzed as the staff proceeds with any reform to the demolition controls. And finally, two overarching questions. Why have there been so many alterations, primarily speculative projects, often selling the entitlements, having issues with the demo calcs, accepted and approved by staff, contrary to the intent of Planning Code Section 317, as stated in the findings at Section 317A? And why have the calcs never been adjusted per Section 317B2D? 
Here's what I just said for all of you, right there with some pictures. Here's uh, for the 150 words for the minutes. Thank you very much. Okay, seeing no additional members in the chambers, let's go to our remote callers. Hello, can you hear me? We can. Okay, this is Anastasia Bonopolis. Regarding the uh, discussion on remote calling and remote public comment, we heard at the Rules Committee a presentation by the city administrator regarding time limits. However, none of that has been settled by the Board of Supervisors. So it's still not in effect. It's going to be heard again on March 7th. So before you jump the gun to putting anything in place, I, I, I wish you would listen to what the Board of Supervisors comes down with as far as remote public comment and time limits. Thank you. Go ahead, caller. Let's go to the next caller. Hello, this is Patricia Boy again. Um, the other day, we have 60 people in our neighborhood that walk our neighborhood, talk to our merchants, and we are head of the merchants as well. I was in a coffee shop. A couple of them came in to give me a report of what they were hearing. On both sides of me were two people, a young girl that was a Puerto Rican, uh, Techie, who was charming, and another lady that was a little bit older that had lived in the city, and she comes to Chester because she, Union Street was ruined. Um, what I heard was people are upset about the new architecture that's being pushed upon us, the fact that they feel that the master plan for Lombard uh, has been sabotaged. And I want you to consider the small business districts and their, and their, uh, their continuity. You will be getting a research, a report from us on this, and a report from our, our merchants and voting on what they want and what they don't. We, don't. we are not on a board of eight to decide what's best for the neighborhood. The neighborhood tells us. And we would like to be a part of this with a with a department, but right now I've got two issues that have been put in front of me in less than a week that we did not know had gotten to the stage. There was nobody to contact, and I think that we need a better system in contacting the people that are involved in the neighborhoods on a regular basis. If anybody wants to know on the board what I've been doing, Commissioner Moore has been out there and has seen it. And you can ask her questions whether I'm valid or not. Thank you very much, and have a nice weekend. Okay, last call for general public comment. Again, you need to come forward or press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no 
request, additional requests to speak. Commissioner's general public comment is closed. And I just wanted to address Ms. Yovanopoulos' comments. Um, the direction we've received is that each commission and policy body uh, will set their own rules related to remote public comment. And until such time that the board, in collaboration with the mayor's office and the city administrator's office, adopts a citywide policy that each commission can establish its own rules related to remote public comment. So, uh, commissioners, we should now move on to your regular calendar for item 13, case number 2018-017026, GPA for the San Francisco Environmental Justice Framework and General Plan introduction. This is for your consideration to approve amendments. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, Commissioner Secretary, you're absolutely right. Today is adoption day for the Environmental Justice Framework, and we're very excited about that. The framework and related amendments to the general plan introduction hold San Francisco's first policies for environmental justice. And as you know, we've been working together with you, with members of the public, and with our elected officials to modernize the general plan. Uh, you've approved the safety and resilience element adopted in December of last year, and the housing element adopted in January of this year. Today's item is planned to be the last update before the transportation element would be before you uh, tentatively anticipated for 2025. So why are we urging adoption? There is currently no baseline for environmental justice across all arms of the city. Yet we know that there are disproportionate exposures to environmental pollution and concentrated social vulnerabilities. Today, we seek to address the compounded health risk that are geographically specific. Today, we seek to fix this gap in the general plan. So let's consider adoption. You have before you a fresh introduction to the general plan that strives to embody the rich work from the past few years into a timely, succinct vision, both true to the past and hopeful for the future. If this work is adopted, the department's budget supports a phase two to the general plan modernization work. Phase two would advance more comprehensive moves, but I'm getting ahead of ourselves. So for today, uh, you'll remember our last EJ hearing for initiation, you heard public comment supporting the framework as a living document. It should be a day-to-day -day guide informing city action. It should be continually adapted to reflect changing community needs. It should strive and it should hold accountable. Much work remains on environmental justice. Today is an opportunity to take a step forward. So let's begin with Danielle Nu and Amnon Binpazi. Hello, commissioners, and thank you to everyone else who's tuning in. Our project director, Lisa Chen, isn't able to join us today in person, but she is available on WebEx for a discussion afterwards. Um, and Marie, Amnon, and myself are excited to represent the team and present to you our adoption proposal. So to start, we wanted to take a brief step back and share the big picture of why we're here today. And can I get the slides on the um, computer? Thank you. So our work is seeking to amend the city's general plan. And this general plan is the citywide policy document mandated by state law. 
As a rule, general plan policy should be designed to guide action with at least a 20-year perspective. And as Anne-Marie mentioned, noticeably, the city's general plan currently lacks robust policies for environmental justice. So at today's hearing, this adoption hearing, you're assessing that from the facts presented that the public necessity, convenience, and general welfare require the proposed amendment. Over the past few years, the department has been undergoing major efforts to update multiple chapters or elements of the general plan. Today, our proposal rides on the coattails of recent adoptions to the safety and resilience element and the housing element. Our proposal today is driven by the state law, SB 1000, that requires municipalities to analyze data on disadvantaged communities that we're relabeling as environmental justice communities. It also requires us to adopt general plan policies to address the unique and compounded health risks that are faced by these areas. And at the local level, the resolutions from this commission and the Historic Preservation Commission have called upon the department to put general plan policies for racial and social equity. So with today's action at the state and local level, we're driven to propose these updates to the general plan introduction and the new environmental justice framework by reference. The framework will also include an environmental justice communities map that'll designate the areas where policies should prioritize and begin action. Since our, initi since our initiation hearing on January 26th, our team has performed a series of minor updates to the content and style of this proposal. It's detailed in full in our staff report, and I won't read this slide in full, but it just paints the picture of what we've added. We added reference to the city's work on reparations to the black community. We added clarifying context and descriptions to the environmental justice communities map, and we did a series of copy editing, readability, and visual updates. Since the case report was published, our team did develop new materials for the commission and the public today. Uh, and that's indicated on the bottom right of this slide. We developed a new user guide to the environmental justice communities map so that other city departments can contextualize the map as the base of their own decision making. It's not meant to be prescriptive, but it helps paint the picture of how it can be applied widely throughout the city's work. So thank you to the Commission Secretary for adding the new materials to their records and e-docket. Okay, so besides that, we also held informational presentations at Environment Commission and Human Rights Commission, and both of them were very supportive of our work. Their respective interagency coordination with these two groups and their staffs have helped this team reach the point today in alignment with climate mitigation and racial and social equity issues. Speaking of interagency support, we also thank all of our peer agencies for their engagement and coordination over the past two and a half years. As part of our staff report, we've included two agency letters of support from the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning and the SFPUC. So for today's recommended action, just wanted to ground ourselves again that with this action, we're refreshing the front door of the general plan, the introduction, and we're also adding this EJ framework that'll incorporate policies to address the unique and compounded health risk 
in environmental justice communities. So now I'll pass to Amnon to share more about the introduction. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, Amnon Benpazi, planning staff. Uh, just a quick recap on what's in the introduction. Uh, it starts with a land acknowledgement, which is similar to the way we start each hearing. Uh, it updates the historical and physical context, and it's now much presented in a more inclusive way. Uh, it puts equity front and center by highlighting the Commission's resolution on equity, and it incorporates the EJ framework, framework into the general plan. Uh, it presents a vision that is based on community input from many planning efforts, and that includes the EJ framework, the housing element, and ConnectSF. And finally, it removes the duplication of the planning code priority policies. Uh, the planning uh, code priority policies still remain in the planning code and will continue to remain in full effect. A little bit about the map. Uh, the map shows the cumulative environmental burdens in different areas of the city, and the top one-third of those are in red. Those are areas that uh, face disproportionate environmental burdens and socioeconomic vulnerability. Uh, those areas are the ones that are designated as, as EJ communities. Uh, they're often low-income communities and communities of color. And everything in the EJ framework is intended to prioritize attention on those communities. Uh, there are many types of data that relate to EJ and that formed, that factored into the EJ community's designation. And to help depict some of those data, uh, we developed the data portal. Uh, it's a website that includes maps that show how the EJ communities relate to the data. And that's an example, that's a screenshot uh, of the data portal. Um, so in, the, in this screenshot, you can say uh, disparate health, uh, health outcomes, uh, in this case asthma, uh, that are particularly severe in EJ communities. So you can see the outline of the EJ communities on top of various data sets. Uh, the data portal was developed by SF uh, State students working with us uh, at the planning department. Uh, we have a soft launch for it, so it is available. Uh, we're still doing some cleanup, as you always have to do with a website. Uh, but we will make it more prominent when that process is over. Uh, and now, Danielle will speak, present a bit more about the framework itself. Great, thanks, Amna. So while we encourage everyone to read the full environmental justice framework, just here for the presentation, we exerted one example policy, which is in the blue text. And then underneath is the supporting text that we offer to you know, show the breadth of the, the, the core policy intentions. And again, we wanna remind everyone that this EJ framework is one major step to integrate environmental justice and racial and social equity into the general plan and that there's groundwork for phase two to put these issues in subsequent general plan amendments, like the environmental protection element and the air quality element. So for healthy and resilient environments that you can see here, uh, the example policy is to invest in resilient public utility systems and affirm the human rights to water, power, and sanitation. Uh, for the next topic on physical activity and healthy public facilities, the policy is to offer diverse, flexible, and inclusive programming for all communities. 
For healthy food access, uh, the policy is to foster climate resilience and innovation in the food system. For safe, healthy, and affordable homes, it's to ensure that housing supports public health in alignment with the housing element. The next topic on equitable and green jobs thinks through fostering a robust network of both work and entrepreneurship. And then lastly, with empowered neighborhoods, the policy supports centering EJ efforts in collaboration with the American Indian community and traditional ecological knowledge. So with our last segment today, I wanted to say that if approved today, it would be a huge celebration of three years of long-range planning in collaboration with the community. We hope that you commissioners are supportive of the intentions and the process and the actual proposal that we've shared with you. Once our final resolution is transmitted to the clerk of the board, the board has 90 days to act. And so unique to a general plan amendment, the board's vote is up or down. They cannot make line edits after transmission. And if the board doesn't act within 90 days, the GPA is deemed approved without action. And so we did wanna let you know that we offered briefings to all the supervisors already to provide them the opportunity to dialogue with us. And we've answered their questions, made minor adjustments based on those suggestions, such as developing this user guide for the map. So as you consider your decision, we'd like to remind you all that since you last saw it at initiation, the proposal is stable with this new user guide and the city attorneys have signed the ordinance, which we also have hard copies of as well. So this wraps up our presentation. Thanks for your attention. Thanks to everyone that's inside the room, outside of the room that have helped us get to this point. And we are available for Q&A at this time. Thank you. Good staff's presentation. Very good, we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three to raise your hand or you need to raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no request, uh, take that back. Let's go to our remote callers. Go ahead, caller. Uh, good afternoon, uh, commissioners. My name is Antonio Diaz. I'm with the organization Poder, People Organizing to Demand Environmental and Economic Rights. And I'm uh, here to, um, to urge your adoption of the environmental justice framework. I was fortunate enough to participate in the um, environmental justice uh, working group convened by the planning department uh, and other city departments to develop this important framework. And I urge your adoption so that we can make sure that San Francisco advances environmental justice for uh, our community. Thank you. Casey Rios, you're unmuted. Casey Rios, last opportunity to submit your testimony. You are unmuted. <laughs> 
Okay, last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed. Um, and this general plan amendment is now before you. Great, thank you. I wanna just thank staff again. Um, I know last time I think you were here, we had quite the array of folks who had been involved. So just wherever they are, we wanna thank them and all the community members for their participation. I did have a question, this, this handout, the map seems the same, except for the last one. Is that, am I looking at it right? I just wanna make sure they're very similar, that there's not actually a difference. Maybe the last one is summarizing the most burdened, but the first two pages seem to be almost identical. Could you just illuminate on that? Right, thanks, I forgot that talking point. The small detail that we made is uh, the legend, the red box. We relabeled it before it said top 30% of areas, and we changed it to top one-third of areas. Okay. And great. the three pages are just different versions to look beautiful. They do look very beautiful. So yeah, th thank you. Enjoyed looking Webster at each page. And, <laughs> uh, and thank you to those who definitely went into making it. And I also want to commend the user guide. And again, this map, um, just a reminder that, you know, it's something that we should be taking out as we're doing our budget and hopefully other departments as well in terms of allocating resources um, to the areas that are most burdened. With that, I will call on Commissioner Koppel. Great report. Amazing work, team. Um, move to approve. Second. Commissioners, seeing no additional requests to speak from members of the commission to deliberate, there is a motion that has been seconded to approve the amendments on that motion. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously six to zero. And will place us on item 14 for case number 2021-005938 CUA for the property at 276 Grandview Avenue, a conditional use authorization. Good afternoon, members of the Planning Commission, Alex Westhoff, department staff. The item before you is a request for a conditional use authorization pursuant to Planning Code Sections 303 and 317 to demolish an existing 1,154 square foot two-story over garage, one-family dwelling, and to construct a new 3,760 gross square foot uh, three-story over garage, two-family dwelling, which includes a 2,796 square foot three-bedroom dwelling unit and a 964 square foot one-bedroom dwelling unit with a two-car garage and two class one bicycle parking spaces. Uh, it's located at 276 Grandview Avenue in the Noe Valley neighborhood at block 2764, lot 012 within an RH2 zoning district, a 40X height and bulk district, and the central neighborhood's large residence special use district. The project description has changed since the project was noticed and no longer requires a CUA for the special use district. The department recommended the addition of a second unit, which decreased the size of the primary unit and eliminated the need for the SUD CUA. Therefore, what's in front of the commission today is the 317 CUA. The proposed project is modern in appearance, consistent with the residential design guidelines, compatible with neighboring properties, and is fully compliant with the planning code. Both units will have access to the rear yard common open space, while the upper unit has exclusive access to the roof deck. Overall, the department finds the project to be necessary and desirable for the neighborhood, since the proposal will add one net new housing unit. 
Department staff have received one email in support of the project from the southerly adjacent neighbors. Additionally, department staff and planning commission received one other email on the project as it relates to other nearby recent alterations and or demolition projects on Grandview Avenue. The department recommends approval with conditions and the project sponsor will now make a presentation. Thank you. Project sponsor, you have five minutes. Good afternoon, commissioners, planning staff, Alex. Um, my name is Juancho C. Isidora, Jr. I'm the project architect. 276 Grandview Avenue is a property in San Francisco Noe Valley neighborhood. It has an existing single-family dwelling with one and a half stories and a basement garage on an upsloping lot from the street. It has an historic resource status of C and is proposed to be demolished and replaced with two new attached dwelling units. The project is designed to maintain the character of the existing residential neighborhood and show compatibility, especially with those in the immediate surrounding residential houses. The site's irregular dimensions, steep slope, and multiple easement arrangements between the adjacent neighbor and the previous property owner posed a design challenge and created the complexity of the current building design. Originally designed as a single family residence, the project was recently converted to add the second unit to meet the provisions of the newly enacted and retroacted Central Neighborhood Large Residence Special Use District. The project sponsor, a longtime resident of San Francisco, purchased the property in 2020 and currently resides in the existing house. Once complete, he and his son will continue to reside in the upper primary unit which has three bedrooms and two and a half bathrooms. This unit has a car, a one car garage, lots of storage, bicycle parking and trash recycling spaces in the basement street level. The upper floors and roof deck are directly accessible via an interior stairs and elevator. The primary unit's front entrance is directly above and approached from the sidewalk by coming up a fully landscaped exterior stairs and green roof deck. The rear of the second floor opens to the rear yard, common open space. The second small, smaller unit has a bedroom and one bathroom on the ground level. It too has a one car garage, ample storage, bicycle parking and trash recycling spaces in the basement. The side exterior stairs gives access to its front entrance and ascends to the rear yard to the common open space. Thank you, commissioners. The project sponsor and I are here, for, here available for any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you. Um, members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Hi, good afternoon, Georgia Shudish. Uh, I sent the email because I wanted to put this project into context with things that had gone on, not only in Noe Valley, but specifically up there on Grandview. 
And uh, I do want to thank, first of all, I want to thank the staff specific and specifically Mr. Westoff for concluding that this was a demolition. And I think if you look at the timeline, it's important to understand that. Uh, originally this project, this house, which is a livable house as I sent you the pictures of it when it was for sale, was purchased in 2017 for $1 million. Um, that uh, project sponsor took out a permit which they never acted on, but that was for an alteration. And at that same time, there had been several other alterations up there too. Uh, one which you had a DR hearing on, and the other two which you didn't, and the two of them were certainly questionable in terms of whether or not they were really demolitions, and I would say the same about the third that you had the DR hearing on that you added a unit to back in 2016, 2017. Um, as I said in the email, I think this was part of that speculative frenzy that went on in Noe Valley and up in Grandview to a degree, but all through Noe Valley uh, through those years. And um, I guess the point that I wanted to make by sending all that information was, could there have been a paradigm shift? Could something else have happened? This was a 1,100 square foot house, livable. Could that have been preserved? That's the intent of 317. I'm not saying it would have happened, but I'm just saying that the demo calcs not being adjusted gave leeway for this house to either be altered as was originally planned, and it was only caught very recently and towards the end of the whole process for this that it was a demo. I wrote to Mr. Westoff in January 2020 and said, what are the demo calcs? He asked for demo calcs in the plan check letter that spring of 2022, and by 2023, it was decided it was a demo. So it was a long time there. If the project sponsor, there's two ways to look at it. Could they have sent the demo calcs in right away, as maybe they should have, given the history of everything that happened in Noe Valley? Or if the demo calcs had been adjusted, could the project, could the house have been preserved this livable house. I know I'm talking about an alternate universe, but that's what I've been talking about for 10 years. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, I'm glad they added a unit because that's what you want. You didn't have to ask for it. They gave it to you before you asked. So, and that was a recent addition. That's why it was delayed from uh, the earlier hearing. Um, that's it, I'm out of time. Thank you very much. Last call for public comment. Again, you need to come forward or press star three. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and this matter is now before you. Thank you. Thank you to the staff and project sponsor. Um, looks like a very well-designed project in my opinion and uh, thoughtful and appreciate the graphic. I don't think we've seen that. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. That was a nice use of your time. Just getting a little view, uh, at least of the exterior. So thank you for that. Commissioner Koppel. Seeing no other comments, I'll move to approve the conditions. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to approve this matter with conditions. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So moved, commissioners. That motion passes unanimously 6 to 0, placing us on item 2020. Hyphen 010275 ENX for the property at 98 Pennsylvania Street. This is a large project authorization.
Good afternoon, Commissioners. Alyssa Monsky, Planning Department staff. The item before you is a large project authorization pursuant to Planning Code Section 329 for the construction of a building greater than 25,000 gross square feet in the urban mixed-use district. The project proposes the demolition of a surface parking lot and new construction of a six-story, 60-foot tall, approximately 74,000 square foot residential building containing 64 dwelling units, 23 vehicle parking spaces, one car share space, 64 class one bicycle parking spaces and four class two bicycle parking spaces. Approximately 6,800 square feet of open space will be provided via private decks and a common roof deck. The on-site inclusionary rate for this project is 21%, um, broken down into 12% for low income, 4.5 for moderate, and 4.5 for middle income. The project is requesting a 49% density bonus per state density bonus law. And the project sponsor is utilizing uh, the required on-site inclusionary at the low income tier towards um, the application for the state density bonus law. However, in order to, to achieve the 50% bonus, the project is required to provide one additional voluntary low income unit. Um, so for a total of 10 on-site affordable units in order to qualify under state density bonus law. The project is requesting three waivers and no concessions. The waivers are to the rear yard, ground floor ceiling height, and building height. The project site is located next to a potential alignment of the Pennsylvania Avenue Extension Passenger Rail Project, and that project may run adjacent or underneath the project site. The railway project is still under study and ultimately coordination with the property owner and acquisition of any easements or property necessary for the tunnel bore is the responsibility of the future Pennsylvania Avenue Extension project team. For public outreach, the project sponsor hosted one uh, pre-application meeting in September of 2020 and met with the Petrero Boosters in January of 2023. The department has received correspondence in opposition to the project from Safe Petrero Hill, property owners uh, uh, on the same block, and the Petrero Boosters. Opposition to the project is generally centered around the appropriateness of the proposed site for residential use adjacent to an elevated freeway, railroad tracks, and the potential Pennsylvania Avenue extension passenger rail project and the increased height and density of the site. Neighboring property owners express that the site should remain commercial in use or industrial in use and should not exceed the height of the elevated freeway and express concerns around traffic, loading, seismic safety, and groundwater. Save the Hill similarly expressed concerns regarding the scale of the project and its effect upon Portrayal Hill neighborhood and believe the prior approved project was more appropriate for the site. The Portrayal Brewsters have expressed that they found the engagement from the project sponsor team to be late and rushed and the level of detail on the plans and renderings insufficient and sometimes misleading. And they raised concerns regarding the adequacy of the exposure of the units facing undeveloped 7th Street and Pennsylvania Avenue right-of-ways, whether these units would be accessible for emergency services, and feel that the state density bonus waivers should be denied on health and safety ground. They also raised concerns 
that the foundation of the project could conflict with the potential tunnel bores for the Pennsylvania Avenue extension, and whether the project had sufficiently considered the location of mechanical equipment and filtration systems need for air quality and the accuracy of the geotechnical report. The department finds that on balance, the project is consistent with the Showplace Square, Potrero Hill area plan and the objectives and policies of the general plan. The project will maximize residential density using state density bonus law on a surface parking lot within close proximity to public transportation, commercial corridors and jobs. The project will increase the city's supply of housing with 64 new dwelling units, including 10 of which will be designated on-site affordable rental units. Um, the project sponsor is in attendance and has prepared a presentation. This concludes staff's presentation and I'm available for any questions. Thank you, project sponsor. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. John Kevlin here with Ruben, Junius, and Rose on behalf of the project sponsor, Kieran Hardy. Uh, the site is currently entitled, if we can get to the uh, computer screen, thanks, SFGov. <clears throat> the site is currently entitled with a planning commission approval from 2016, which would replace a surface parking lot and construct a 48 unit project. The project sponsor obtained a site permit for the project in 2018, locking in the previous 15.4% affordable housing rate, which he could build today if he cho so chose. Uh, in the light of the availability of the state density bonus, the project sponsor has decided to give up the grandfathered affordable housing rate and provide affordable housing at a higher rate uh, in exchange and in order to re-entitle the site with increased housing using the density bonus. The new project proposes a six-story building with 64 dwelling units. It's an increase of 16 dwelling units. Uh, it will have 10 affordable units, as Ms. Simonski said, that's up from seven in the uh, original project. And we've added a single story uh, with 12 feet in uh, height to the building. Private open space is provided in the rear yard at the podium level. And there is an upper, uh, there's a common upper story courtyard and roof deck serving all units. And we're not seeking an exception from open space. The site is surrounded by streetscape that is anticipated to change in the future, including potential removal of I-280 and improvements along the uh, Caltrain's tracks and bike lanes along 17th Street. Now, the northeast and east frontages uh, are particularly challenging to this project, uh, we all recognize, um, considering the current environment um, has the Caltrain tracks and no pedestrian access along these frontages, and these are just a couple of the pictures. So far, we've proposed, um, oh, sorry, should the I-280 removal take, project take place, the environment is going to be vastly different. And this is just a, an image from the conceptual plans. From, by the way, 2016, hasn't been another presentation since then. Um, at this point, really not a reasonably foreseeable project for the purposes of CEQA, and that it's, it expressly says that in the, in the CEQA document. We've had two to three meetings with SFMTA staff during this current uh, entitlement process, and they've even expressed to us, look, we're still just looking at plans here, right? So we, we, there was no definitive feedback yet, so. So far, we are proposing a landscape wall at grade along the Pennsylvania frontage uh, as an appropriate middle ground option that serves both the configuration today uh, and in the potential future if the freeway were to come down. Uh, we're going to continue working with the community on how this can best integrate into the nearby community garden, which the community has developed uh, in that area, and this is kind of adjacent to it. Um, and of course, we've been co coordinating with long-range planning staff and the SFMTA since 2021, and we'll continue to do so as we go through the permit process, the street improvement pro process, et cetera. 
Uh, 17th Street, will, which is the uh, primary frontage of the project, uh, will soon be improved with bike lanes. Uh, the project will construct a sidewalk where none exists today. That sidewalk will have street trees, uh, and all of this is consistent with the Better Streets plan as required uh, by the planning code. And uh, further walk-up units are provided along this frontage to further activate it. Um, certainly, this is an area in transition, and the project sponsor is enthusiastic and supportive of all plans currently under development. It's going to be better for the project. It's going to be better for the neighborhood. Um, eliminating the existing parking lot and creating new housing at the site will help build on the recent housing developments on the site, uh, or on the, you know, on this uh, on this block, as highlighted in this uh, image. So we have been working with the Petrero boosters uh, and have made significant change in direct response to to their requests. Um, Initially, when we started this new re-entitlement process, um, the project sponsor and the architect met with the boosters, showed them the old design that was approved by the Planning Commission, uh, took input regarding design review, and actually made some pretty fundamental changes, as you can see from the two images on your screen right now. Um, but then again, when the, uh, uh, the boosters asked for a continuance in January, we were happy to do it. We wanted to work with them, make sure that there was, we could achieve everything we could achieve together. Uh, we had two meetings, updated the plans twice, We've eliminated all nested bedrooms. We've reduced the parapet height. We've clarified that there are individual washers and dryers in each unit, which was always the intent. We've confirmed the extent of rooftop mechanical equipment, which was shown in the plans. Uh, we've added additional freeway details into the plan set and prepared photorealistic renderings in direct response to their concerns about design. Now, there are no discrete requests that we are aware of that we haven't responded to. Um, despite making design modifications at the beginning of the process and going through the city's formal design review process, um, several members of the boosters have provided us some verbal design comments, but it's not clear that they're shared by the whole group and they haven't been articulated in writing on behalf of the group. So we thought it was inappropriate to incorporate them kind of willy-nilly at this stage of the process, but we're more than open to the commission's comments on design as we always are. So thank you, commissioners. I'm here if you have any questions. Okay, hey, uh, members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Good afternoon, commissioners. This is the first time I've been here since 2020. This is a big deal for me. Welcome back. Um, thanks. I'm Allison Heath. I'm with the Petrero Boosters Neighborhood Association. Um, I just wanted to make a quick clarification um, from Ella's presentation that the boosters have not objected to height and residential use. We have a long history of success with developers and the planning department. Our efforts have yielded well-designed projects, extensive community benefits, and thousands of units of housing. While we recognize the serious need for additional ho affordable housing, the proposed project raises a number of concerns that we've detailed in our letters to you. I should note that because of these outstanding issues not being resolved, we have not yet presented the project to our full membership. The Pennsylvania Avenue extension was endorsed as the best alternative for a planned rail infrastructure project of major city, regional, and state significance. Plans show tunnels running directly under or adjacent to the site. With pilings as deep as 47 feet, 
how can the 98 Pennsylvania project even be built? We have yet to hear from SFCTA, which was the reason for the last continuance. Um, could I have the overhead, please? Secondly, the plans and renderings don't represent actual site conditions. Pennsylvania and 7th don't run alongside the property, and the adjacent area under 280 is obstructed by freeway pillars. Co-compliant streets can't be built here. The project sponsor has been instructed by the planning department that the freeway and existing conditions along the site will remain. The map from the plan shows non-existent streets. And here I've highlighted the streets that aren't there and won't ever be there. With no public right of way and no adjacent co-compliant streets, it's impossible to provide windows to most of the units that meet dwelling unit exposure requirements. This isn't just a code issue. It's a serious life safety issue for neighbors and future residents. The facades along the east and northeast sides extend over 150 feet with no access for emergency vehicles. We've been told the fire department hasn't reviewed the project. As of Tuesday, they didn't even know a project was proposed. We suspect a major design will be required to comply with fire code and would have expected a review prior to this hearing. In the interest of public safety, we strongly urge the commission to continue this hearing to a future date. Good afternoon, President Tanner, commissioners. It's nice to see everyone today. My name is Stephen Shargotz. I'm a field representative from the NorCal Carpenters Union here at Local 22 in San Francisco. I'm here in opposition of the 98 Pennsylvania Street Project that has no labor standards attached to it. I've reached out to Siren Hardy many times and tried to talk to their team here at planning last time. This was on the docket in person to no avail. The Carpenters Union knows, as well as everyone else in the city and state, that we are in a housing crisis, and there is a huge demand for all types of housing, from market rate to affordable and everywhere in between. There is also a crisis on how workers are treated, contractors, developers, and end users all exploiting workers by not paying them area standard livable wages, paying for health care, or getting them a retirement plan, or using an accredited apprenticeship program that will help build the future of our industry. The Carpenters Union wants every carpenter union or non-union to be treated fairly, and we hope the Planning Commission does too. I would like the Planning Commission to grant a continuance on this project to give the developer time to have a conversation with the Carpenters Union and possibly come to an agreement to build this project using union labor. Thank you. Okay, if there are no additional members in the chambers, let's go to our remote caller. This is Sue Hester. Planning commissioners, you're not ready to approve this project. I've never seen a project that has the, the number of inconsistencies that this one has. We don't have real plans if they're not if they're not adequately showing current condition, real conditions. There is a decision by the city and others to have a rail line coming through the site underneath in the ground. And 
There is a freeway up ahead because it's Philippine Freeway from 280. The other things, I sat through all of the hearings on the Eastern Neighborhoods Plan. This is consistent with the Eastern Neighborhoods Plan, Pajero's Plan, but the conditions have majorly in, in changed in the past 20 years, 25 years. The plan was adopted 25 years ago. Since then, we've had flooding in the area, flooding this site. You don't have that information when you have an environmental impact report, pardon me, a PEIR. Uh, there is basically the information that environmental review used. Do they have adequate information to make a decision on fire exiting? You need to have that information. When you have design information needed, and that was an earlier conversation in this commission, when you need to have design information really dealt with, it needs to be adequate life safety design. The amount of exposure that is outside the window is really relevant. If there's going to be major construction underneath the foundation of this building, because there's a transit extension, that needs to be discussed. You don't have a, a staff report that really deals with this, providing you with the information. The fact that they got an uh, approval in 2016, this is 20, 2023. So I would ask you to seriously continue this and ask for the staff to get information from the fire department, at least, and have a pictorial representation of what the surrounding issues are, what the surrounding buildings are, uh, how this building re re works against the surrounding streets. I don't think you have that information from the plans. Yeah, I know you don't have the information from the plans. So please grant a continuance. That is the responsible thing to do. I ask you to be curious about this case. Thank you very much. Okay, last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed. And this matter is now before you. Thank you. I want to open with a few questions. You know, one of the things we heard today was about the uh, rail extension and the, you know, I think very well-intentioned idea that we would want to make sure that that public investment can, you know, correspond to this private investment. But I do want to ask the city attorney about the role that that future public investment can or cannot play in our deliberations today. We've heard a lot about it from the public. Thank you, President Tanner, Deputy City Attorney Kristen Jensen. <clears throat> uh, the commission is not, it's not appropriate for the commission to consider a potential as yet undefined public project that may or may not take place on the neighboring property at this time. Thank you for that. Um, certainly something I think we're all intrigued by, um, uh, but certainly something that we can't really take into consideration today. The other thing that I want to confirm with um, with project staff is that this, this project is subject to the Housing Accountability Act, which I think limits it to five public hearings, is that correct? That's correct. So this would be, if we count the continuance of the department's discretion, the second hearing that this case has had? I just this, want to be mindful. This would be the third. 
the third the third hearing. So just to be mindful, commissioners, if folks are inclined to a continuance, to keep that in mind. Um, and Mr. Simonski, I do have a few other questions for you while you're here. One of the questions that we got, and especially the particular, the most recent letter from the boosters, mm -hmm. is talking about you know whether or not a street, the freeway is a street essentially, and whether or not we can um, say that we do have code complying exposure. Now the staff report indicated that the, the project does comply with exposure. Could you walk us through a little bit that analysis and yeah. kind of a comparison with the excerpts that were provided in the letter? So um, just. To start, uh, exposure in the planning code is not equivalent to exposure under the building code. And similarly, uh, a public right-of-way, as we consider it in the planning code, does not correspond to what the definition of a street is in the public works code. Um, so when I'm talking about, and also waivers and, and exceptions and all these things can only be to the planning code. Nothing can, we can't waive building permit or fire or any other codes. Um, so for exposure under section 140, the windows of a unit must face onto a public street or public railway of 30 feet or wider, a side yard of 25 feet or greater, a code compliant rear yard, or uh, open space of, I'm sorry, I can't remember the certain dimensions off the top of my head. Um, so there's, you know, kind of dimensional standards of you know, how you can achieve that. Now, when it specifically comes to streets, it has to be a public right of way, as in owned by the city, not a developable parcel. Um, well, 7th Street and Pennsylvania Avenue are not developed. They are public right of way. So, you know, I, I think there was a, a, you know, the site plan shown and it does show, and that's a, it was a lot. It's essentially the lots. Um, and so the right-of-ways are shown there, even though they are not built. Um, and in the 2016 iteration, at that time, the thinking was that roads would have been built. And so when this project first came back, it had designed to build out a sidewalk along Pennsylvania and 7th Street and actually had basement-level units with stoops onto this. So a lot of the comments that were in that early plan check letter was relating to these units that would front onto a street that will not, and is not anticipated to be built. So as it's currently configured, the windows are facing public rights of way. Okay, thank you very much. <coughs> Mr. Kevlin, I have a couple of questions for you on behalf of the project sponsor. Um, you know, we had both the letter today, or it came yesterday, from uh, Ms. Heath, and I think you've had, where I read that letter, mostly relating to the streets, which we heard about, and life safety concerns. Um, but I also want to look at the letter that was last month in February that they, they submitted. Just goes over a couple of suggestions that they have, and just want to, I know some of these you responded to in your statement, but want to make sure that I heard it correctly. Could you talk about, um, and for those who are looking, it's packet page 66 in the staff packet for today, uh, the commission packet. So there's a bullet-pointed list at the bottom of that page. One suggestion was including amenities like community room, storage, gym, communal workspace, et cetera. Could you explain if that was thought about and why or why that wasn't considered or how that was taken into account? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Commissioner. Uh, yes, those are amenities that are appropriate in some uh, housing developments and, and not others. Um, this is uh, a building that is providing housing. Uh, it's a building that uh, is going to be able to be constructed. Uh, and it's a building in which uh, it's going to be priced at 
not having, you know, a gym amenity, not having a library amenity, not having a, you know, all of these amenities, which uh, are appropriate in some settings, but um, in, in the project sponsor's um, uh, perception in this s situation is, is, is not appropriate, right? This, the, the, there's, there's different housings for different places and different, um, uh, and, and this is one in which taking space away of, for residential units for amenity space uh, was not the trade-off that was appropriate for this project. Okay, and the next point is around car parking. I believe there are 26 spaces for 26 vehicles. Could you just talk through how you guys arrived at the number of providing some on-site parking? I know it's certainly below the parking maximum, which we appreciate. Yeah, this is a well-served uh, transit location. Uh, we need to do a one below grade story just for the purposes of the building foundation. Um, as uh, And so, uh, and, and some parking is in demand uh, in, in all of these housing developments. Uh, obviously, we're at like one-third of, of the units, um, but we didn't, we're not doing double stackers or anything that we put all of the plenty of space for mechanical, bike parking, all of that stuff. So it was kind of the leftover we, we, we did off street parking. Okay, since you have to excavate anyways, it sounds like. Um, one of the questions I think you mentioned, there are stoops and some, uh, some kind of street level activity. You also talked about kind of having the facade, uh, you know, certainly for today's condition, but being adaptable for future conditions should the freeway come down, thinking about which who knows when, if or ever that will happen. Um, I don't know if you want to share any more about the design uh, at the street level in the project. Yeah, so uh, just to reiterate from the presentation, the Pennsylvania Street frontage, which it's not accessible, but it is a, close enough to that community garden that there's going to be benefit from the vegetation along the wall there. And again, I think there's hopefully opportunities to further kind of integrate mm -hmm. those two areas. So that seemed like pretty straightforward, uh, something that, is not gonna is, is gonna be nice in the meantime and wouldn't necessarily impede you know in the future if if the the freeway came down the big issue was do we you know in the event the freeway came down do we want to create like active frontage there which is just really challenging right once you start cutting into the concrete you start having structural issues and all that and again the 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 the, the lack of certainty over it suggested that it really wasn't a good use of of cost and design to start you know building punching holes uh, in that facade. So this was kind of that middle ground that we, we ended up on. Okay, and that kind of goes to the point around melding with the railroad garden and permeable surfaces to manage rainwater and runoff problems that are associated with that. So has that been a discussion that you feel like you've been able to resolve with the boosters and the connection between the garden and the property? This, this is one of the issues that the boosters have clearly brought up. It's one in which we want to continue working with them on because we do think there's a lot of potential synergy here. Look, it's... It, these projects are unfortunate that sometimes these conversations going to kind of get jammed here in a couple months, and um, there is the reality that this project sponsor needs to get approval and be able to start moving forward. That in no way means that this conversation is cut off. Mr. Hardy does a lot of projects throughout the city. He's been in front of you many times before, so by no means is this conversation, not just is it not over, we would like to continue engaging on that specific issue because I think there really is a potential there. Okay. One of the other things you mentioned is the streetscape planning and melding with the anticipated bike lanes. So I think you know having the sidewalk in its compliance with better streets <clears throat> seems to satisfy and be prepared for when the bike lanes are extended. So that's right. any further comment there. My, my guess is that there's going to be further maybe tinkering with that because that bike lane project is like 
right in the middle of design, close to implementation right now. The streetscape plan, I think we got approved maybe a year ago or so. So, I, you know, we're going to file our street improvement plan. My guess is that there's going to be further coordination. As that, both of those are kind of coming yeah. to fruition. One um, detailed comment was around the washer and dryers, whether or not the closets were adequate to have the stack of washer and dryer, which we're glad to see that there are the in-unit um, washer and dryers there. Could you speak to that at all, if you have any knowledge about whether the closet depth is appropriate for that type of facility? Uh, uh, not knowing the exact specifications for a washer dryer closet, what I will say is this project, as a matter of course, builds in a washer and dryer to every single unit because it's so important to uh, residents and, and making these, these units um, uh, uh, desirable. And so uh, we're obviously at the, the site plan level right now, conceptual stage. The full intent is to have the, so to the degree we need to move a wall around here or there, that's still, you know, TBD. Okay. Um, that was the only questions I think that I wanted to ask. I think, well, the only other one was screening the rooftop mechanicals using landscape elements such as trees. Seems like those are adjacent to the roof deck, so maybe something that would be even appropriate for the residents themselves. Is that something that you all are open to? Absolutely. Consider? You know, again, we're at this stage of the process, landscape architects to be brought on further developing that rooftop space. Look, it was a good conversation because one of the things that we absolutely verified in the last two months was what you're seeing on the rooftop plans is the extent of what we're going to need for that mechanical equipment. As commissioners know, that's not always fully figured out by the time we get to the commission. We've had that conversation. We've, we've looked into that. And so now we feel confident that what is shown is actually the extent of what's going to need to be on the roof and, and in the next stage moving forward to further developing the landscaping. Okay, great. Thank you, Mr. Kevlin. Yeah. Commissioner Moore. <clears throat> Uh, I appreciate the issues that the public has raised. Thank you. I, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I will ask when I can. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate, appreciate the issues the public has raised. I have similar questions um, which rise from some of the observations that I do not address, see addressed in the, uh, in the project that is in front of us today. And I want to restate the largest question is Pennsylvania Avenue, in parenthesis, referred to as an unaccepted street. That is a ghost street, or some people in jargon refer to it as a paper street. That particular type of street, to my understanding, does not have a right of way, or is not a, does have a right of way, but is not a public street. And when you look at older maps and studies that have been done on the subject many, many years ago, and I happen to be one of the people who is aware of it because much of it happened during uh, younger years, there are slivers and remnants of land throughout San Francisco that total 529 acres of unaccepted streets throughout the city. That is almost half the size of Golden Gate Park. And Pennsylvania Avenue, as well as 7th Avenue, fall into that category. And if you look at historic maps of how they have been updated and brought forward, these streets just remain as unaccepted streets. In 2009, there was an interesting study, as I think it was originated from UC Berkeley, where people looked at transforming unaccepted streets into productive open spaces and community amenities, particularly many of these unaccepted streets, fell into areas of low advantage communities where freeways cut through neighborhood patterns in random ways and there's a lot of leftover land. 
In this particular case, with 280 coming in, Pennsylvania Avenue did not seem to be quite the avenue anymore. It was basically, uh, it remained an unaccepted street. Um, uh, and if I understand this correctly, uh, uh, if the city uh, ha doesn't have a city street, it leaves it up to developers to construct and maintain a street adjacent to their properties. Then a, a new developer, uh, at least so, so goes the regs, could later on apply for acceptance after a particular warranty period has gone by. Uh, how this applies in this case is unknown, given that there is obviously the Caltrans easement, there is a railroad, and then there is the hypothetical uh, study of the train extension uh, and uh, 7th Street, uh, which cuts right to the middle of the block. Uh, Open-ended questions would be, have to be addressed by public works, the fire department, and its need for emergency access, given particular turning radii and required width, uh, not to talk about the tunnel, which at this moment is not a completed project and can apparently not be brought into how we are looking at this project today. Uh, I just want to hang this out there because I believe that this particular issue requires a lot of additional answers that need to be further substantiated, including the historical precedent uh, that I'm referring to. Um, I looked through a series of plan check and uh, street design advisory uh, reviews from 2021 through 2022 and onward which addressed the projects that were uh, uh, suggested for the site before. And it's kind of interesting, it's a very um, uh, technical, yet very honest exchange back and forth. Uh, I think in the Potero Boosters letter, I saw a quote particularly about uh, not to pursue 7th Street and not to pursue Pennsylvania uh, Avenue, if I see that correctly. But there were other requirements, and some of them may have been addressed, but I will comment on my perception how they have been addressed, and there are 10 of them. <clears throat> there is a requirement for a 10-foot sidewalk. There is a request for accessible curb ramps. There is a question about the driveway and garage access with an updated landscape plan, a landscape plan that is being referenced but not included in any of the submittals that we have seen. There's a request about information on on-stride loading, including accessible passenger loading, accessible passenger loading, uh, questions about tree, street trees, existing ones, that, and the ones that are required, including street lighting, how existing street lighting needs to be either removed or adapted or whatever. Uh, and then there's an interesting discussion about the location of a PG&E transformer, which if I saw the uh, applicant's response was supposed to be uh, on 7th Street, which seems somewhat far given where the body of the project sits, or it was supposed to be connected to an existing transformer for the 2050 17th Street building, which is right next door. However, <clears throat> given the size of the new building, 
the question is as to whether or not the capacity that is being handled by two buildings at once is sufficient, but that's my own technical question. Interesting issue is waste collection. I raised that question in a, in a previous discussion about this project. The garbage room seemed undersized and too far at the north end of the project in the basement with a door leading outside. The uh, uh, response from the applicant was to consider pulling a refuse to, uh, to Mississippi Street during garbage collection days, uh, which seems very far north to take a large, uh, a number of cans for a large building and pulling them up 17th Street to Mississippi Street. I think that is a stretch. Uh, however, I'm just making observations. I am not criticizing the attempt to find a solution. Uh, I question that that is the right idea. And then, as uh, mentioned several times by others, uh, should any project, if there is a larger public project, i.e. the Pennsylvania Extension Tower, should this project, out of courtesy, take that particular project into uh, consideration because this project has tunnels and exits, et cetera, and uh, it would kind of like, it would be nice to see a project making a civic gesture where we all can look ahead together. This is a summary of 10 only partially answered questions. Uh, and uh, the last thing I saw was the street advisory uh, at Teams review in February 22, where they are drawing, there were their responses uh, referencing particular drawings. However, since there are so many drawings which start to look all alike, it's very difficult to really figure out which drawing it is. In typical architectural drawing sets, there are revisions which are noted in the title block. So as you move forward, you always kind of know what you're responding to and when. In this particular case, for me personally, it's a little bit open-ended and quite vague. Uh, it sounds critical, but that is what I'm trying to say here. Uh, and there's finally, to pile up a little bit more, uh, there's one design observation, and I am not uh, at all trying to venture in critiquing this building. That is not what this commission is supposed to do. Uh, there is uh, the introduction of light wealth, which I thought was a great idea. Uh, that eliminated the issue of nested bedrooms. Well done. Uh, however, when you look at drawings A2 and A3, this is the latest set in what's in our package today, you see that these light wells have windows from the interior corridor where people come from the elevator and go to their units. However, these light wells happen to look into the bedrooms. And I think that is a privacy issue because the light wells are not particularly deep and that is perhaps something that requires a tweak. Um, and those are my comments, and I do think that this project needs, needs to be more accountable uh, to some of these questions. Thank you, Commissioner Moore. Commissioner Diamond. Ms. Um, Szymanski, can I ask you to come back up? I was curious to know where the review by the fire department stands. So, 
you know, this is at the land use entitlement stage. Um, when building permits are submitted, it will get, it will receive a full review by the building department and the fire department. Um, usually fire participates with our SDAT um, to give preliminary comments. Um, so, you know, in, in typical review, they, they did provide preliminary comments with uh, the SDAT review. Um, but full evaluation by the fire department will come with the review of the building permit. So in conjunction with the SDAT review, did they say anything um, that made you think that the project needed to be redesigned for life safety reasons? So I believe you, in some of the correspondence, there was something pulled from the 2021 SDAT letter mentioning that the units facing onto 7th Street could be challenging. Um, from the fire department, those units have been eliminated. Uh, so in 2021, the original design had assumed the development of 7th Street with sidewalks, with units at the basement level and stoops. Uh, also with the parking garage entrance coming from 7th Street, the like a mini of the back of house was on 7th Street. One of the biggest project changes uh, that happened after we got feedback from Public Works and other agencies that it's unlikely in the foreseeable future that 7th Street will be built out was that the project was redesigned so that there are no basement level units. None of the entries require access from 7th Street. The garage access not from 7th Street. Um, and actually the my latest information from the project sponsor was that they are going with the shared transformer on 17th Street. So there was, it is a little confusing when reading through the SDAC comments because the earlier versions were off of a very different design. Um, so, so yes, <laughs> there has been some initial fire department review, um, but full fire department review would come with the building permit. Is it accurate to say that um, the project sponsor has responded with design changes to the comments that have been provided to date by the fire department? Yes, um, I did consult back with our, our you know, SDAT partners, mm -hmm. um, given, you know, the revisions, um, you know, and that's why there was not a subsequent review letter issued by SDAT. Um, you know, some comments like, you know, you're showing a street tree where the driveway is. And, you know, some of those items, you know, were addre easily addressed uh, from the last letter. Yeah, I, I'm not concerned about the minor refinements yeah. that occur, you know, after the fact through the design process. I'm talking about the basic design of the building and whether mm -hmm. it meets the life safety standards um, that were provided by SDAT and to which the project sponsor, you're saying, responded with the project yes. change. Yes, yeah, the, the big change from, with the elimination of the sidewalk and stuff on 7th Street, that was the big change. Um, and then the second SDAT review was on the current configuration with frontage on, on just like the access only on 17th. And that was fine from fine, their perspective. Yes. Okay, so at the moment, there are no outstanding fire department comments to which the project sponsor has not responded with design changes? Not that I am aware of. Um, let me ask the same question to the project sponsor. 
Thank you, Commissioner Diamond. The only thing I have to add is we're in a little bit of a unique situation here in which a very similar building was entitled and a site permit approved. Uh, I think it was in 2019. That site permit having gone through full fire department review as part of the site permit process was approved, has been issued to, to grandfather the old rate. So a, it's not the exact same project, but it's a very similar project, very similar uh, uh, you know, configuration along 7th Street, fully approved by the fire department as part of the site permit. So uh, on that point, is that permit still valid? Could you build that project? Yes. So if we were to turn you down on this project, you have the right to go build that project. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, last question is to the city attorney. Um, <laughs> this is a state density bonus project. Um, what is our discretion? What are the limits of our discretion on this project? Uh, this is Deputy City Attorney Kristen Jensen. Thank you for the question, Commissioner. I'm not sure that's a straightforward question to answer on the record. Um, as you're aware, the state has very intentionally limited the discretion of local decision-making bodies when it comes to state density bonus projects. So um, I would say that those limits are definitely applicable in this case. I'm not sure if you have a more specific question for me. Well, I was pushing hard on the life safety issue because it struck me that um, that is one area where I was under the impression that um, we as a commission retained some discretion um, if we were, if there was an open question about life safety or noncompliance with health and safety issues, but it doesn't sound like there is. Um, and so I was trying to make sure I understood that correctly before figuring out how to vote on this particular project. I think what the commissioner is referring to is the findings that one makes for a Housing Accountability Act project denial, which is tied to health and safety findings. Um, in this case, I'm not sure whether you're uh, leaning towards making such health and safety findings, but those would really be more uh, relevant to the housing accountability okay. aspect. Thank you for that clarification. Um, I, I will leave it at that um, for now, um, but I do think we need to take into account in our thinking about whether we approve, deny, or continue the fact that they have an existing entitlement, um, and this one provides, at least in my opinion, um, a lot more units, um, and you know, uh, I think a nicer design. Uh, so I, I will leave it because I'm interested to hear what the other commissioners have to say. Certainly. Commissioner Braun? Yes, yeah, I do find this, this project to be tricky um, in a lot of ways just because of its, its very difficult location that is basically hard up against the freeway. Um, I think there, there's one question I have. There was a mention by Mr. Kevlin uh, that the filtration, the building filtration HVAC system, that that's been addressed in the current set of plans. I'm not quite seeing that, and I'm just, I might just be missing it, but I'm wondering if there's more information that can be provided. Thank you, Commissioner Braun. Um, so what you're seeing in the plan set today, the conceptual designs are, are both space for mechanical equipment on the, on the roof, mm -hmm. and then you'll also see space in the basement. And so, um, Typically, at this stage, we've kind of spaced it out based on previous experience, and then it's further vetted after planning commission approval. Because of the uh, questions that the Petrero boosters have brought up, we, we vetted it now. 
um, and found that the mechanical space on the roof and the mechanical space in the basement is adequate. We haven't fully labeled it and showed all the specifications, but with respect to your specific question about the HVAC equipment, that is intended to be in the basement mechanical space. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the, just having, again, having this project up against the freeway, I know that it's, it's allowed within the plan and, um, you know, but it means that there are going to be enhanced requirements and I saw those mentioned as far as, you know, the uh, requirements of the Department of Public Health approvals. Um, I just think that this, this project does have a lot of um, next steps they're going to have to come through with the building permits. And I, I do sort of uh, wonder about potential changes that are gonna be necessary if the fire department has some different opinions on um, any life safety issues, or if in the mechanical drawings, ultimately the adequacy of the um, filtration system for a place that's in this kind of setting um, turns out to be appropriate. Um, that being said, you know, it seems like to the extent that issues can be addressed for this approval, many of, you know, they have been addressed. I just think there's gonna be some more vetting that's gonna be coming down the line on this on this project. Um, but uh, yeah, those are all, all my thoughts for the time being on this one. Thank you, Commissioner Braun. Commissioner Imperial. Yeah, I foresee this project has keep coming back, even if let's say we approve this for entitlement. Um, just because there are, let's say, one major thing is the the Caltrain um, tunnels um, that looks like still under study and um, looks like the SFCTA also. Um, it sounds like it's still under um, under study as well, right? And do we know in terms of the timeline of that SFCTA? Um, comment on this? Um, I do not know the timeline for them to finalize and approve a rail alignment. Um, it's still under study. Yeah. Uh, and my understanding, they haven't completed environmental or, you know, gone on to the next stage of study for the project. Um, and the Pacific, Pencil, sorry, Pennsylvania Avenue Extension project team did not provide any comment. Did you want to add to that, Director Hill? Yeah, we did talk to uh, SFCTA and had a meeting with them about this project and basically, you know, to alert them that there's a project on this site. Now, they, they're open to go talk to the project sponsor and negotiate or figure out kind of what concessions could be made in the construction if they think that there's an issue that might impact the potential for the Pennsylvania Avenue extension. But, you know, this project is limited to their parcel, the privately owned parcel and can't extend beyond that without city approval. And so to the extent that the CTA needs to negotiate something in advance of this project happening, if they think the project will need some easement or right of way through this parcel, they should do that. You know, and we've encouraged them to open up that line of communication with the project. Anyway, you're hearing from the city attorney is, we can't tell this yeah. private property owner you can't build on this portion of your parcel because there may be a public project coming up. But we wanted to make sure that line of communication is open and we've done that with prior projects as well. And my also my impression on this project is that, um, you know, the study of the removal of freeway, the I-280, it seems like this project is designed as if there is a removal of the freeway. Um, I mean, that, I mean, that is my impression, but I am, you know, but 
in terms of, again, there are future projects in the city where this project is actually really located. That um, That's why even if we say we approve this project today, it may eventually still come back for a lot of issues or improvements or whatever. Um, so, so this is also my, as a commissioner, in terms of like our responsibility of the state density bonus and housing accountability act, but the, but there is also the reality <laughs> that this project will change over time. Um, so I'm also trying to make a decision whether I should, you know, knowing the fact that it may change or accept as it is, but at the same time, I think Commissioner um, Moore also addressed some of the design issues that, you know, you know, what kind of project are we seeing this? I mean, what kind of project is this? I, I'm trying to understand whether this is a ghost project or is this really going to be built? Because at the end of the day, we, I here as a commissioner, I'm, you know, I'm making a decision that this project is going to be built. Um, and so, so that's my comment. Um, there's part of me that I want to continue this, but at the same time, um, even if I voted for yes, I know that this will still come back to the commission. So yeah. that's if, giving you my thought. <laughs> if I could just add, like, again, if we, I get the concern, right, of this site, it's a, it's a challenging site at best. But if there are changes, the state density bonus laws don't, don't trump the building code or the fire code. And if their review necessitates changes to this project that are significant enough, it will have to come back to you for, for review. It's a little chicken and egg, like where we start and do you design out the full project before we do this, this, our planning entitlement. But I think this is the stage we're at. They certainly have a ways to go in trying to figure out whether the fire department is okay and the building department in, in resolve those issues. But again, if it necessitates changes, it would come back. I think what I would say, Commissioner Imperial, on that point, you know, the, there's a lot of, of projects being talked about that are pretty big around this project, the freeway and the tunnel, and those are huge. You know, as somebody who lives next to a freeway that is, is still talked about coming down, it's still up there. In fact, we put it back up when it fell down. So, I mean, like, I don't know that that's, like, take the future as maybe 10 or 20 years from now. So um, we'll see what those big projects end up being, uh, how those end up resolving. And so I know it's hard for me to kind of, like, take myself away from, like, well, it could be so much better in the future if this happens. But that future is so cloudy, I think, at this point at best. Um, I see Commissioner Moore and Commissioner Diamond's hands up. Maybe I'll just make a few more comments. Um, I think if, if commissioners are in, inclined to continue, I would uh, advise that we give very specific direction on what we would like to see change in the project if it is to come back um, regarding the design or layout or other functioning of the project itself. Um, otherwise, um, general hesitancy or desire for alignment with public projects, I don't think that's sufficient itself to, to come back with something that's going to be different. Um, if it's for more negotiation along the lines of Potrero Boosters, design comments, again, not the tunnel comments, because we've heard that's not really something that we can be considering um, in our deliberation, our decision making, and I don't think is even ready to be considered, unfortunately, because um, that project is still under design. Quite frankly, I'm not sure how they would even what they would even negotiate with the project sponsor, but certainly we would encourage the SFCTA to do so. So, if you're making second round comments, if you want specific changes, whether you believe it needs to be continued for those changes to be made, or you'd want to modify the project today and give approval with the modifications that you'd uh, request, um, I'd ask that you uh, elaborate on that. With that, I'll go to Commissioner Moore. 
Uh, I would like to ask that we defer approving the project partially on the fact if we approve it today for the quantities that are being asked, we're deferring value to by approving it. I am supportive of a project on the site, but I'm supportive only if the circumstances that surround the project are realistic and doable. That means that the question that I ask, particularly the unaccepted street, et cetera, is being vetted by you and all agencies which could help you with that. I would like this to be an honest, fully supportable project rather than pushing something where by state density bonus rules and by Housing Accountability Act, there's already so much pressure on us that all I can do, I'm speaking for myself, I can only professionally do what I can do and I cannot support something which has too many un unanswered questions that ultimately would be in your own benefit to be answered. And so just deferring value by voting, let's get this over with, it will come back anyway, I think is the wrong attitude. I think we need to help them and help ourselves in order to deliver buildable projects that we are all on the same page given some of the very basic fundamental questions of how buildings are built and under what circumstance. That is the code, that's life safety, that's planning, etc. It is not just a sliver of one thing or the other. I have one particular question, if I may just get away from giving my generalized opinion. Uh, not, it's not an architectural question, it's, but it's for you. Uh, uh, this building uh, sits in uh, the air pollution exposure zone that was updated by the city in 2020. When I pull up the overlays, uh, the 2020 air pollution exposure zone is far larger than what it was before. As far as I know, that requires fixed windows, non-operable windows for the units facing the freeway. Is that a correct assumption on my part? That's our expectation on this project, okay. yes. That would mean that 43 of these units uh, will have non-operable windows. If not all, yes. If not all. Okay, yeah. thank you so much for yep. answering that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Commissioner Diamond. So given that we can't use the Pennsylvania extension as a reason uh, to continue or disapprove the project, um, I'm going to vote to approve. Um, I believe that uh, the issues that have been mentioned are all issues that will be worked out in the normal course of events as the project goes through review with the <coughs> other departments. So that's Is a Is that motion. a motion? That's a motion to approve. I'll second the motion. Commissioner Braun. Yes, um, well, just uh, one other comment that came to mind because of Vice President Moore's comment about the uh, operable windows. So um, being so close to the freeway, am I right? I, I think I also read that there are different requirements as far as um, sort of the glazing of the windows or ability to block noise from the freeway, is that right? Yeah, thank you, Commissioner Braun. Um, the reason we do a noise study specifically for each project is to get ahead of the idea of are there specific uh, uh, elevated noises in the vicinity of the project that requires a different rating of, of the glass, right? So we have gone through the noise study process as part of environmental review for this process. Uh, the noise consultant has recommended the appropriate gauge or rated windows um, considering the, the, the noise environment uh, around this building. Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I admit I, I did um, run through 
Google Maps and Street View and Aerials to find any residential buildings that were this close to a freeway in San Francisco, and they are few and far between. Um, President Tanner's building didn't come to mind, actually. Um, but, uh, okay, so otherwise, um, I'm, I'm happy with that answer. And then also, um, you know, I actually do uh, agree with Commissioner Diamond that the specific issues that have been raised, I don't have... I don't have a specific way to address them through this process. Um, and so I also favor the approval now, knowing that there's going to still be a lot more review when it comes to the permitting side of this, and, um, and that hopefully that can be addressed with the project coming back to us. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I am in favor of approving the project as is right now. Thank you. Commissioner Imperial? I have a question to the project sponsor. Um, there are also comments by the local, um, by the carpenter, the local 22. Um, are you, are you interested in doing community outreach with them, <laughs> or, or, and also continues to talk with the um, trial booster? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and um, I think this commission has seen before. I'm up here a lot. There's a certain amount of trust that comes with that. I'm thinking with uh, Commissioner Moore in particular on several projects. Um, on, on, on this one, I wanted to mention to Ms. Heath as we walked out of the room that, again, like I said to the commission, this is, we have to have a hearing, we have to have a vote, we don't always agree, but that doesn't mean that this project can't continue to fit as best can be, um, as best as can into the neighborhood. And what, I, what I'm going to suggest is that she can contact me directly if there's any problem with communications so that we can, I can help facilitate those types of conversations so that there's no... We have a vote, if there's an approval, we don't always agree, but that we move forward and continue to make this the best project it can be for the neighborhood. Okay, thank you. Yes, um, thank you. you have a comment, Commissioner Moore? No. Okay. Thank you, I think, I don't see any other commissioner hands up. Indeed, commissioners, there is a motion that has been seconded to approve this matter with conditions on that motion. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? No. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes five to one with Commissioner Moore voting against. Commissioners, um, item four was pulled off of consent, and we'll take up that matter now for case number 2022-012037-CUA for the property at 2050 Chestnut Street. This is a conditionally use authorization. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Ryan Balba, Department Staff. The item before you is a conditional use authorization pursuant to Planning Code Sections 303, 303.1, and 711 to establish an approximately 1,200 square foot formula retail jewelry store doing business as Majuri within the ground floor space of an existing four-story mixed-use building within the NC2 small-scale neighborhood commercial zoning district and a 40X height and bulk district. The NC2 zoning district requires a conditional use authorization for the establishment of a formula retail use. No work to the exterior facade is proposed, and the proposed use size is permitted in the zoning district. New signage will be processed under a separate sign permit. There are currently 13 vacancies in the 300 radius of the site, and there are 16, 60 existing commercial storefronts within that same 300 radius, of which 13 are formula retail uses. The addition of the proposed use would bring the percentage of formula retail uses from 
approximately 21.67% to 23% within the 300-foot radius of the site, which complies with the commission guide for formula retail uses. In summary, the project complies with the planning code and the commission guide for formula retail and is on balance consistent with the objectives and policies of the general plan. It will provide desirable services to the neighborhood and bring additional pedestrian traffic into the area. The department recommends approval. This concludes my presentation. I'm, I'm available for any questions. The applicant does not have a presentation to make, but they're also available for any questions. Thank you. Do I understand correctly the project sponsor is not going to make a presentation? Correct. Very good. We should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no members of the public in the chambers coming forward, let's go to our remote callers. Hi, Patricia Shavoy. Uh, my frustration is unbelievable. Um, this is a project that I have been a champion of because it was a 24-unit building that was vacant for 30 years. And, I, you know, the, and the kids who inherited this building had to sell it because there was too much work to be done. And the residential is being built. I kept calling for months and months and months and saying, what's the status of the commercial? What's happening? Oh, we're working on it. We're working on it. And then I find out today in between the first of this meeting and the last meeting, a boilerplate design was put in in the drawings and okayed in 2022. There are not a lot of specifics on these drawings that I just looked. What I am concerned about is the fact is I don't want the same thing that happened to us that happened to the Apple Store, where a set of drawings were presented. They were approved as well as the conditional use on the same day. And then all of a sudden, the drawings changed when they got to building inspection. I want to make sure that what we're going to get is what we're going to get with this project. I'm very disappointed that we're having a conditional use hearing and not a presentation of the whole project. I'm also concerned, I want to, they never came to any of us, including the next door neighbor with these drawings. And I am very concerned with the fact is we're having a lot of robberies and burglaries, and I'd like to sit down with them before we even get started and make sure that they have the proper glazing on the windows and stuff like that. I need you to say, yes, we approve the conditional use, provided that they take the drawings back and talk to us first, and we can do it very fast if they want to get it through in a week. It's fine. But right now, we, are, we are, have been left in the lurch because we didn't know about the drawings, the uh, unofficial drawings that were done just to get the project through. We don't know the specifics on the windows, and uh, we don't know the safety issues. I believe that this is a good project. I just want us to make sure that it's conducive to the neighborhood, the design's conducive to the neighborhood, and that we start out on the right track. And right now, we're not on the right track with this happening. And it makes me very, very, very sad. So what I was asking you to do is saying we approve the conditional use, but we think that the, the majority should come and approach us 
and see if we can find a suggestion, a, a solution to the exterior. That's all I'm asking. That's the best I can do with less than uh, a week's notice. Okay, last call for public comment. Seeing no additional members of the public requesting to speak, public comment is closed. This matter is now before you, commissioners. Thank you. I just want to make sure I understand. This is filling an existing vacant storefront. So I know there was concern stated about the facade and window glazing, but could you address if there are significant facade or window changes contemplated in this proposal? Correct. There are no um, exterior improvements with this project. Um, I'd like to clarify that in May on May 5th, 2022, a project to modify the storefront was approved by planning um, over the counter. It went under it underwent rigorous um, preservation review um, such that it's compatible with the eligible Marina Corporation Residential Historic District. Um, so yes, there's completely two separate projects and this project itself isn't proposing any exterior modifications. Thank you, Thank you for that clarification. Commissioner Koppel. Uh, move to approve. Second. Thank you, commissioners. On that motion to approve with conditions, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Diamond. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner. Aye. So move commissioners and motion passes unanimously six to zero. Commissioners, it'll place us under your discretionary review. We're going to take a brief break before we head into our DRs. Five minutes. Thank you. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay. Good afternoon and welcome back to the San Francisco Planning Commission hearing for Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. Uh, commissioners, we left off under your discretionary review calendar for item 16, case number 2022-005429DRP for the property at 681 12th Avenue, a discretionary review. Thank you, Dennis. Good afternoon, Commissioners. David Winslow, Staff Architect. The item before you is a public initiated request for discretionary review of building permit application number 2022.0211.7855 to construct a new 285 square foot accessory structure at the rear of an existing single family residence. The existing building is a category B age eligible historic resource built in 1915. The DR requester Pamela Fine of 679 12th Avenue, the adjacent neighbor to the north, is, is concerned that the proposed project does not comply with the residential design guideline principles. One, ensure that the building scale is compatible with the surrounding buildings, ensure that the building respects the mid-block open space, provide architectural features that enhance the neighborhood's character, choose building materials that provide visual interest and texture, and maintain light uh, to adjacent pri uh, properties by providing adequate setbacks. Her proposed alternatives are to, one, locate the studio within the existing building, two, reduce the size of the rear extension, three, locate the kiln as far away as possible and remove the casters from the kiln, and redesign the extension so that it is in character with other buildings, and five, possibly seek a variance for locating the studio in the rear of the backyard. To date, the department has received no letters supporting and no letters opposing the project. Staff supports the project as it complies with the planning code and the residential design guidelines. The one-story 285-square-foot studio is within the buildable area of the lot and set back 8 foot 8 inches from the north side lot line and 5 feet from the south, light, so, excuse me, south lot line. At 12 feet high, the proposed addition is only 2 feet taller than an allowable fence, but set back over eight feet from the DR requester's property line. Thus, the mass massing is modest and set away from the neighbors so as not to impose undue burden with respect to boxing in adjacent properties and from uh, the mid-block open space or impeding access to light and air. Therefore, staff deems there are no exceptional and extraordinary circumstances and recommends approving. Thank you. DR requester, you have a five-minute presentation. Thank you for your attention to this matter. My name is Pamela Fine, and I live directly to the south of the location of this proposed project. Oh, I'm sorry, the slide's not working. I just SF noticed. SFGov, can we go to the computer? What? Okay, now we're working? Should I start over or? Okay. Um, this slide shows an overview of our adjoining backyards. Mine is on the lower right, and um, the project sponsors is towards the middle. As you can see, our backyards are adjoining and level to each other. I'm sorry, I, this is new to me. Be able to just move the slides with the arrow buttons. Can you pause your time, Jonas? 
Please do. Um, I'm trying the arrow button, sir. I think it might have gotten stuck on that menu, and you just need to use the forward and back buttons on the keypad, I believe. Yeah, they're not. Just use the buttons here. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jonas. Okay. Um, this is the artist rendering of the proposed studio. This um, next slide, the pink line, bright pink line shows approximately the length of the ceramic greenhouse vis-a-vis -vis my garden. And note, this does not include the additional Jonas, six you can foot restart the timer. Awning. Great. Continue, ma'am. And this is another view. It's an overhead from Google Maps. This proposed building um, increases the building depth by 50%. It would be increased by 85% if you include the covered east patio. This does not meet the design guidelines. It does not preserve the mid-block open space. And it is certainly not in scale with the surrounding buildings. This is a view of my house at night. You can see the effect of light pollution. And now imagine the effect of a glass house that projects out an additional 20 feet. The proposal does specify low task lights, but there is nothing to prevent the owner from placing additional light sources. And artists are notorious for always wanting as much light as possible. This is a glass house on zero, on 0 0.046 of an acre. This 100% glass design maximizes light pollution. It has a negative impact on privacy. And per the project sponsor, she said that a ceramic, ceramics is one of the dirtiest of arts. So a glass design is really not appropriate with all the dust and um, other things. Um, this is a more appropriate location for a glass house. This is also not in the vernacular of a greenhouse as described by the architect. Greenhouses are not placed in the middle of a garden. They're certainly not, um, uh, they would not be placed on a cement pad increasing the amount by about 50%. Um, this studio should use opaque walls and ceiling with minimal windows to reduce the negative effects on the adjoining properties. This is a more appropriate location for a greenhouse. The proposed 280 square, 285 square foot structure could reasonably could reasonably utilize the 280-square-foot space of the east patio. Um, and I do not understand why the project sponsor has not considered this. I do not understand why it is starting 10 feet away from the house. And, um, and it, it just really doesn't make sense. Uh, the, the size of this, the, the placement of it, and the nature of the building materials are extremely um, 
injurious to the adjoining properties. Thank you. That concludes uh, DR presentation, DR requester's presentation. Project sponsor, you have five minutes. Thank you, commissioners. My name is Brent Martin. I'm the Can project architect. Can you adjust architect. the microphone just a little bit, the microphone a little bit closer? There okay. you go. Thank you. My name is Brent Martin. I'm the project architect, and I'm here with the project owner, Jenny Chin. Um, we're going to go with the. We're going to use the overhead here. So this one-story greenhouse studio does meet the and exceeds the uh, code required setbacks uh, around the property. It's set back eight foot nine from the north property line, um, seven foot five from the rear lot line, and five feet from the south lot line. The open space of the rear yard at 2,029 square feet um, is 86%, the, the studio at 285 square feet takes up 14% of the current open rear yard space. Concerns about drainage, uh, the rear yards <clears throat> in this location slope toward the house. Um, and concerns about drainage have been addressed by placing a dry well in the backyard and all of the hardscape and roof drainage will be directed to the dry well. Um, the design does meet, we believe, the residential design guidelines in its cubic form um, is in concert and in scale with its neighbors. The, the properties have had additions um, added on to the rear yards in, in the past. It's very common in both, both properties and both sides. And this, this property does, the, this project does the same and is in scale with that. We did a shadow study to really look at the 12 foot high building and how far shadows would occur onto the northern property. And it appears that uh, during three months of the year, some shadow would uh, go uh, between November, December, and January onto the end of the rear yard but um, as was mentioned, the addition of a permittable 10-foot fence opaque along that property line would make this argument moot um, and cast much more shadow. And we're not doing that yet. Um, a look at the floor plan of the project <clears throat> shows that we have moved the kiln as far out to the west as possible and will vent according to the California Mechanical Code. Um, and additional window films and window treatments and low task lighting will be used to address privacy, light control, um, and, and landscaping as well to address privacy issues that the neighbors may have. Looking, uh, addressing the, the rear yard open space, um, 
and looking at the neighborhood, we can see a variety of regular and irregular mid-block open spaces. Some of them have rear accessory buildings in those open spaces and some do not. Uh, the subject property uh, mid-block open space has a few, quite a few accessory structures located in it. And uh, if we zoom in on that, you can see there are a series of pergolas, greenhouses, sunrooms, and, um, and even a cottage, uh, a two-story cottage in, a, in the rear yard mid-block open space. So we run through a few of those um, images. We can see this projects of this type and of this scale are not uncommon in this mid-block open space. And uh, even a two-story cottage uh, ADU-type building does exist in the rear, rear part of the lot. Um, and so, yes, thank you. Um, so in response to the DR form question three, we believe that property owners have the right to improve their properties within the codes and guidelines. Many options have been considered, including an ADU uh, uh, that would have taken up much more space in the rear yard. Um, the greenhouse studio is a closed structure containing the activity inside of it, including the dirt and additional dust. And um, working in a dark basement or in a street level garage for Jenny is not an option. And uh, we believe we have addressed the privacy issues um, by various means. Thank you, sir. That is your time. Thank you. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. If you're on WebEx, you need to raise your hand. Hello, Commissioners. My name is Barry Lee. I live next door to Pamela Fine. I've lived on this, in this house since 1962. My parents are the original owners. I now own the house, having bought out one of my siblings after my parents passed away. And um, I would just like to give some history on what it's been like to live next door to Pamela Fine. Now, I fully support Jenny Chen's Ceramic Studio Greenhouse Project, and I think it would be a nice addition to her backyard area. Jenny intends to use it for the expression of her artistic talents. She is an artist. Our mutual neighbor has a not-in-my-backyard propensity and has shown to object to what her two neighbors want to do in their backyards. Life in our neighborhood was once idyllic and diverse, as there were working class people from all walks of life. White, black, Chinese, Japanese, Argentinian, Korean, Filipino, Latino lived on our street. And we had households with two to four children, which all played together on the street as we grew up, and we all got along. But as the older generation moved on, 
and houses were sold, our neighborhood has changed and is no longer diverse as it once was. It's become gentrified. Non-minorities are moving in with funds to remodel their houses and they have changed the dynamic of the one diverse neighborhood. Um, Jenny's family grew up on our street. We went to the same junior high schools, Presidio and George Washington High School, and her sister and I, Jenny's sister and my sister were in the same class. And the rest of our children were intermingled with theirs. Um, Sir, I'm sorry, but your time is up. You have two minutes to speak. I, t I was told it's three. Unfortunately, it's two. Can I ask for an extension? I'll speak faster. You have 30 seconds, sir. Okay. So anyway, in November of 2002, we, had, we have a three-panel greenhouse. She wanted us to knock down the, that greenhouse that was on the side of her house to put up a six-foot, five-foot lattice fence, which would compromise the security of our greenhouse and uh, let her kids climb over if they want to, or let anybody climb over if they want to. Who ever heard of a two-panel greenhouse? So we, we came to, we, uh, she filed a protest on us. We came to the city planning and then we prevailed and we were allowed to just to uh, repair it. She originally wanted us to tear it down. Sir, I'm sorry, that was your 30 seconds. Wow, two minutes is too fast. Yeah. Thank you for your testimony. Well, I had a whole script prepared. Huh? I think we got the gist <laughs> of what you're communicating. We appreciate it. All right. Well, she just complains about everything. Oh, Very I just want to add, Thank I, I, I want to add one thing, 15 seconds. Sir, that's sir, your time. That's your the time, commission sir. can call you up for questions if they need to. Okay, you're going to call, call again, right? We, we Thank may. You. Thank you, Mr. Lee. We appreciate your time. Okay, last call for members of the public. Okay, if you're calling in, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, um, DR requester, you have a two-minute rebuttal. The cubic form is a very low bar for being in keeping with the character of the neighboring buildings. This is not a greenhouse. There is no reason for it to be glass. All the accessory structures that uh, the architect mentioned are either adjacent to the rear of the house or at the, or at the rear of the lot. They do not violate the open space with the exception of the one um, building that also provides additional housing. Um, uh, again, using this east patio space could minimize some of the more extreme negative impacts of this project. Please make modifications to the location and the materials of this project. Thank you. Project sponsor, you have a two-minute rebuttal. I'm Jenny Chin. Uh, I am an artist, and, and I think that artists have always known that we need space that's separate from living to, to, um, to do our, our work. Uh, and, I, and I think we learned during the pandemic close down that everybody needs separate space between their work and their living space. But um, 
I, we, I think the design is beautiful, and, um, I, and we really discussed a lot of different aspects of what's due, and we worked very hard to keep everything within the boundaries of the property uh, and building codes. So um, I'm sorry that, that Pamela doesn't find it as beautiful as I do, but I, I think that, that uh, we did really work within to stay within the boundaries. Thank you. Okay. Commissioners, this matter is now before you. Thank you. Commissioner Moore. I, I am in full support of what is being proposed here. I think it is sensitively placed. I found the block evolution over six or eight blocks rather telltale and really uh, illuminating the issue. Uh, I do believe also that this is a sufficiently large backyard where we're really not even requiring a variance. And for that reason, I'm in full support and move to approve. Second. Okay. I would just like to add, um, it's a really charming building. It's great to see an artist have their space near their home. And we often talk about artists leaving San Francisco. So I think this is uh, really fabulous. And um, we just hope that, Ms. Fine, if there's things you want to do to enhance the privacy of your yard on your property, you're free and able to do that. If um, the view of that greenhouse you find offensive, you could put up a, a fence that complies with our code um, to help to minimize any impacts that you may feel from the project. With that, I am also in support. Uh, Commissioner Diamond. I wanted to ask Mr. Winslow the same question. There's nothing that prevents the DR requester. There is nothing that prevents the DR requester from building a 10-foot fence or planting trees along that side of the property. Correct? No. Uh, um, yes, I'm in. I don't think we should take DR. Great. Thank you. That's all the commissioner comments. There's nothing further, commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to not take DR and approve the project as proposed. On that motion, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So move, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 6 to 0 and places us on item 17 for case number 2021-001801, DRP-02 for the property at 1027 through 1029 Clayton Street. This is a discretionary review. Um, there are two DR requesters. Yes, but there's some news. <laughs> Late-breaking news, yes. So good afternoon, commissioners. David Winslow, staff architect. Um, as of a few minutes ago, I've been informed that one of the DR requesters has settled. Uh, that would be the Barabies. If that's true, could you confirm? Not your, okay. So let us proceed. The item before you is a public-initiated request for discretionary review of building permit application 2020. .1221.1394 to construct a new three-story over basement, two residential unit of 1,985 square feet and 2,380 square feet, uh, respectively, on, uh, on a steep downsloping vacant lot. Uh, since there is only one DR requester, I'm going to say, state that Dave Ryan of 1026 Clayton, the uh, neighbor across the street and to the east, is concerned that the proposed project is out of scale and excessively tall in comparison to the existing adjacent buildings and will, is not compatible with neighborhood character. Furthermore, it will cause loss of light and air to the neighbors. His proposed alternatives is to reduce the building height to two stories over basement. Um, and to date, the department has received one letter supporting and two letters opposing the project. 
Um, staff finds that the project complies with the planning code and the residential design guidelines to articulate the building to minimize impacts to light and air and design the height and depth of the building to be compatible with the existing building scale at the mid-block open space and the street. The project is three stories at the street over two levels of partial subgrade basements due to the steep downsloping of the lot. Um, the site uses the averaging of the adjacent entitled project to the south um, and the existing neighbor to the north, the DR requester who has withdrawn, to base its rear yard uh, depth. The result in this case is that the code allows a building to extend slightly deeper than the typical 45% uh, of the uh, lot depth. Set at the end of a proposed development of five three-story buildings, this is a transitional building which would, should moderate the depth uh, of the lower and shallower neighbor, which I believe it does, um, as evidenced by both my report and the settling, I believe, of the neighbors to the satisfaction um, by using a series of side setbacks as well as the moderation of the depth of the, the pop-out at the rear. Um, so I will skip to the concerns that I think are more appropriate to um, the remaining DR requester. Um, this is a mix of existing two and three story buildings um, at, uh, and this is the north end of a five building development proposed by the same developer of that same height um, which will augment the context of with three story buildings. There is a consistent pattern of three-story buildings on the opposite side of the street, and as such, a three-story building is not out of scale or character with the scale and height of the buildings along this street. Therefore, staff deems there are no exceptional or extraordinary circumstances and recommends not taking discretionary review and approving. Thank you. Very good. The remaining DR requester, you have five minutes. Do we have him officially withdrawn? Oh, does, Mr. Barbie, is that? Yeah, if you could come to the microphone. Yeah. Um, we have reached an agreement. We are officially withdrawing it based upon um, an agreement by the proponent to set back the ground floor deck uh, two feet so that it is 10 feet in distance. Great. Without any change in the physical outline of the pop out. Great. So we have the drawing here and with that change, we are willing to withdraw the discussion review. Very good, thank, thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Second DR request, you have five minutes. I have some copies of my presentation here. If you want to share them with the uh, commissioners, thank you. I'm just going to skip. Uh, um, is my five minutes starting? Oh, we wait a minute for the distribution. Of course, yeah. Oh, just let me know when you're ready. I'll just adjust this slightly. All right, you can so start. So I'm, I'm just going to jump right into this at the very outset and say that it's. Um, I would like to see the building reduce the height to support the existing neighborhood roofline and character. The current project shows us a number of stories as three over two basements. Um, I'm requesting that it be reduced to match the accompanying neighborhood area. 
there are a number of similar existing buildings uh, which are one story over uh, two to four basements. And I'm going to show you some examples of that in a minute. Um, let me first of all just show you that the building is significantly above the adjacent building here. You can see um, in blue is the, um, the project sponsor's um, own drawing and the adjacent building, which has actually belonged to the other DR requester. Um, and you can see how extraordinarily high this is. He's also done, the project sponsor has also done the same thing at the other end, at the south end of the street. So again, significantly higher. And that, these two projects are actually going side by side in, uh, according to the Planning Commission. Um, so the proposed project buildings are out of scale and excessively tall in comparison to the existing adjacent buildings. Basically, they dwarf the adjacent buildings, as I just showed you. The project fails to keep the building bulk to the west. And as uh, David Winslow just pointed out, this is a very steeply um, uh, sloping portion of the street um, towards Coal Valley. The project is out of character with the many existing neighborhood examples, which do recognize and keep their building bulk to the downhill. The detriment to the neighborhood character and loss of light, air, and views to the numerous dwellers on East Clayton is exceptional and unreasonable, and it impacts Clayton's for a very large section. And so again, you've heard about the residential design guidelines. This is a very important street. Uh, this is Clayton Street. You hear about Ashbury, hate Ashbury all the time. But Clayton is just as important. And uh, the Sutra Mansion is just down the street from this. There are a lot of extraordinary buildings on this. This is not a backyard project. This is a, a major section. And the residential design guidelines, I couldn't have uh, phrased this better myself. The way it's, it spells about the impact um, in order to maintain the virtual visual interest of a neighborhood, it is important that the design of new buildings and renovations to existing buildings be compatible with nearby buildings. And um, I don't believe that holds true in this particular case. Now let's have a look at uh, what are we looking at here. So here's how it looks today. You can see, yes, there are three-story buildings on the left-hand side. But on the right-hand side, there, these buildings are far smaller. And this is actually um, quite well established. And I'm going to show you um, a number of examples in the neighborhood which show basically what I'm talking about, um, where there's steep down slopes. This is in the Mountain Springs area. You can see tall three-story, four-story buildings on the left, and virtually nothing on the right, like one story. Um, let me show you just another example on Belgrave Avenue. The same thing again. These are all neighborhood areas. You see three-story, two, three-story on the left-hand side. And on the right-hand side, sorry for my alignment, uh, basically one story. Uh, let me show you on Clarendon, yet again another example where you can see there's a very tall buildings on the right-hand side. Again, this is all steeply downsloping, as Mr. Winslow pointed out. And downhill, maybe one and a half stories on the left-hand side. 
Let me show you yet again another example up on Upper Terrace, a short distance away. And again, I'm, I'm just pointing this out, steeply sloped, tall buildings on the right. Yes, there are tall buildings on the right on Clayton Street, but this project is disrupting that flow that we see here. So in summary, extraordinary disruption to streetscape. I've just shown you multiple examples, preserve the streetscape, and it's, there's a huge loss of not only light and air, but views. It's, um, it's, these are massive oversized buildings. So thank you very much, commissioners. I'm available for questions. Thank you, project sponsor. You have five minutes. Good afternoon, Commissioners, uh, President Tanner. My name is Jeremy Schaub with Schaub Lee Architects, representing the owners of 1027 1029 Clayton Street. Thanks for this hearing today. Also, want to thank Sylvia Jimenez and David Winslow for uh, helping us work through the neighborhood process. As David said, project site is a vacant RH2 lot in the Coal Valley neighborhood. Three years ago, we were in front of you for approval of a project on three parcels to the south of this site. 1027 to 1029 Clayton Street is proposed as a new three-story over basement, two-unit building to complete the set. One of the DR requesters who just withdrew is located to the north. Because the site slopes 40 feet downhill, the structure is proposed as three stories at the street with two subgrade basements below. Unit 1027 is located on the basement and sub-basement levels and is roughly 2,000 square feet. The lowest floor has all the living space with access to the rear yard, and an elevator provides access to each story. The basement has the bedrooms of the lower unit along with two bathrooms. Our street level has the main entry, two-car and two-bike garage, and a portion of the upper unit 1029. At this story and above, our rear massing is notched away from the neighbors next door. This also has a deck that provides the open space for 1029 which is set five feet away from the property line. The second story contains the main living areas of the upper unit. At this story and up, the rear wall is pulled back to the 45% rear yard line, and this unit is about the same size as below, providing unit equity. The top level includes three more bedrooms, along with two bathrooms. And then the roof, just for reference, is completely unoccupied and does not, provide, does not propose a penthouse. Uh, this shows uh, a portion of the previously approved project to the south on the left side of the screen, as well as our proposed building in color. Uh, and as Mr. Ryan pointed out, we are showing the adjacent Barraby building on the right. Uh, due to the steep slope, uh, each house is set about three and a half feet below the others, and this one is reduced about 18 inches overall. And if you need any photos of the adjacent building, they're in your packet. Here is the rear facade. As I mentioned, the site slopes downhill about 40 feet, so we have two uh, subgrade basements. This is the right elevation facing Mr. Barraby, uh, 
and the setback areas are indicated in color, uh, colored siding. And the left elevation, again, showing the steep downslope. So to address some of the concerns raised by the DR requesters, we might be actually able to skip a bit of this, but uh, this is from the RDGs showing the configuration of a pop-out. And then in blue here, we kind of recreated this diagram on the left, and then on the right, we show how our pop-out is essentially one floor uh, below grade, and then a deck above with a reduced parapet. That's indicated in blue here on the longitudinal section, showing that, yes, the pop-out is well below grade, and it's below the neighbor's even garage level. Uh, and here's our rear, uh, rear elevation massing to show that the pop-out is reduced in height from the previous appro previously approved versions to the right, and then uh, it's also reduced in size overall. Uh, so we held our pre-application meeting in November of 2020, about six months after the three initial buildings were approved. Uh, Mr. Barabee attended, as well as some of the neighbors behind us on Belvedere Street. In the interim, we've had many discussions. Uh, project sponsors spoken with Mr. Barabee many, many hours over about 18 months, but I, I feel like that bore fruit today. Uh, and then neighbors behind asked for some high-quality materials with greater articulations and more facade planes. We've responded to each item by setting back the rear wall, uh, changing some windows, enlarging side setbacks, and varying the massing. So in conclusion, uh, this project provides new housing for families in San Francisco within an established neighborhood. Both of the units will have three or four bedrooms uh, on a vacant infill lot. This project has been reviewed at the planning department and complies with the RDGs and planning code, and there's nothing exceptional or extraordinary. We respectfully ask you to deny the DR and approve the project. Okay, thank you. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. If you're on WebEx, you need to raise your hand. Let's go to our remote caller. Hi, my name is Club Budman. I'm calling in uh, in support of the project sponsor. And um, so I, I, I live just around the corner from the proposed project uh, on Ashburn, and I wanted to call and voice my support for the proposed two-unit building at 1027 to 1029 Clayton Street. Uh, I'm in support of the project. We're in desperate need of more housing in San Francisco. The new project proposes two family-sized units on a vacant lot. The proposal is a beautiful 21st century addition to the neighborhood, and I'm very excited to see it move forward. I ask that you support the proposal in its current form. Thank you. Okay, last call for public comment. Seeing none, DR requester, you have a two-minute rebuttal. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, so. Jeremy actually pointed out very clearly what a significant size and bulk of these buildings are. They've been clearly been supersized. I mean, these are enormous. He's used every square uh, cubic centimeter of space. And, and tourists come still 60 years after the 60s, after the love generation. Busloads come down the hate. 
People every day walk up and down Clayton Street in the summer months to admire the architecture, to admire the buildings. These buildings are not in scale, in shape. You've just seen the drawings here from the architect himself. I mean, they're absolutely massive. I, I really think these are part of a trend, a trend that is not good for San Francisco. We need half of the one billion plus revenue the city brings in is because of tourists. And tourists don't just go down to the hate. They walk up Ashbury, they walk up Clayton, they walk down Clayton. This is not adding to the character of San Francisco. It's not adding to the character of the hate. It is a trend of modernistic buildings that are oversized for this area. Um, so that's my point here. I don't see that he addressed the, uh, Jeremy addressed my particular point at all. These, this adds absolutely nothing uh, to the character or the way the neighborhood is. So I'm asking you to take my, um, take the Dior, do something with this. That's all I have to say. Um, if you have a specific question for me, I live on Clayton Street. Um, and lots of people live on Clayton Street and they'll be negatively impacted. They'll be very unhappy to lose their views along with all the tourists. Thank you, sir. Project sponsor, you have a two-minute rebuttal. Uh, nothing further, thanks. Great, thank you. Uh, commissioners, this matter is now before you. Thank you. Um, certainly can see the house is a bit larger than the, some of the other properties, but as Mr. Winslow said, it's not totally out of character for some of the other surrounding homes. There seems to be a variety of home heights here. And I think, uh, as this commission knows, this is more of the density that we'll be seeing. And I'm just happy to see the RH2 property with two units in it. So um, that's a, a nice uh, a nice project to see. So I, um, while I don't support the DR requester because there was an agreement made, I think Mr. Winslow advised we should take DR to um, approve the modification of the rear deck of the two feet um, retraction of that rear deck uh, in, the, in the rear. So. Uh, Commissioner Koppel? So moved. Second. I don't see other, other hands. Very good then, Commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to take DR and approve the project with the um, modification pursuant to the agreement between one of the DR requesters and the project sponsored by reducing the deck two feet. On that motion, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Could you add the word south side of the deck, please? And then I would say aye. I agree to that. The, the south. West, west side. The west side of the deck. It's the south side, correct? West. west. Side. They say it's the west side. West side? No. For clarity, why don't you yeah, put the drawing up? It's the adjoining side. Yeah, north is up on this correct. diagram, and it is the west side. Sorry. SF Gov, can we have the overhead, please? Thank you. Okay, you're right. Okay. The west side, but yeah, it would be good to clarify in the motion it's the west side of the deck. Very good, commissioners. On that motion then to take DR and approve the project as proposed with a two-foot reduction on the west side of the proposed deck. On that motion, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Diamond? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? 
Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So move, Commissioners, a motion passes unanimously six to zero and concludes your hearing today. All right, we are adjourned. Thank you, everyone.